with Steve Allen. Morning, Monday morning. Hope to God it's not a blooming heat wave again. I think we can go through that. Two days of that was quite enough for me. Thank you very much indeed. Nice to be coming. I hope you had a good weekend. Uh, they were showing on the BBC again this morning the opening of the Olympics. Looked even better second time round and third time. So I was very, very happy with that. I did watch the... the for some reason, The Only Way is Essex was repeated again in the early hours of this morning. And you suddenly realise that Arge is the biggest... Arge, that you've ever heard of. And then, strange enough, Rupert gave... Oh, I've lost the blooming thing now. Rupert gave me something early. He said he went out to a bar, a very, very rare occurrence, and he found um, this, this flyer, and it was for Arge doing a champagne party on the 7th of September. £10 off champagne all night in this place. Book your booth now and receive your first round on us. It's a place called Jewel in Covent Garden. And... Uh, as I say, they've got James Argent. You wouldn't want to go anywhere near any bar that had this compulsive liar going to. What a horrible piece of work. What a ho- It'd be like going to something with Gemma Collins. You know, another one who's hell-bent on, uh, on exposing some poor bloke in there as gay when, when he might not be gay. I mean, and then she attempted to sing the other day, and she couldn't. Not one note. Arge is so average, it's almost embarrassing. But even more embarrassing was the X Factor, which has plumbed new depths in low figures, I'm afraid. Uh, good programme, but nobody was watching it. You know why you're all outside, having the barbecue, enjoying yourself, putting your feet up and just relaxing and thinking, why should we watch the X Factor? And it had this pink singer on, this woman who does a pink impersonation. Well, I tell you, to, I mean, an embarrassment all round. An embarrassment all round. Not only did this poor woman not look like pink, she was foul-mouthed. She's made all the papers, oh, I was stitched up, I was this and that. The only problem with her is that she can't sing. She couldn't hold a note for Toffee. It was embarrassing. When they said, oh, can you sing another song? And we, we, we were sort of treated to Talisa, who's naff chav of the week. Gary Barlow, who's quite clearly off with his own little agenda, and I don't have any trouble with him, but we like him. And then they've got some, some woman from America they have to put on there. And then you've got Liberace at the end. Because I was looking at it very closely, thinking to myself, Liberace's come back from the dead. And it turned out that it was Louis Walsh with some, somebody else's hair stuck on his head. He either looked like that or he looked like Uncle Fester out of the Munsters. Or the Adams family, whichever, which, whichever one he was. It was absolutely dreadful. And he didn't say anything at all. As usual, Louis knows nothing about the business. We had to put up on one of the programmes with the dreadful Caroline Flack. Who, who can't present for toffee and has got one of those miserable faces half the time. So that kind of turned me off. And then we had to put up with Jedward, the two slightly peculiar boys. And that's the limit to Louis Walsh's talent in the business. But why he's modelled himself on Liberace, I've got no idea. He looks just peculiar. None of it looked right. Absolutely none of it looked right. I couldn't quite work out, you know, why... Why it wasn't? Why it just wasn't happening for Louis Walsh? I mean, it, I mean, it really wasn't happening. I was a little bit worried, actually, thinking maybe he's going to come up with a few of his uh, his old, you know, sayings. And then I thought, no, he didn't even come. Up, he didn't come up with anything that was any good, apart from yes, you were really good. Obviously, somebody said to him, "Listen, don't advise people because you're wrong every single step of the way. You've got no idea at all." And it was and it was just a bit of an embarrassment. But every time the camera cut him, I kept thinking, Liberace. I mean, he was looking just wasn't. I don't know what was the matter with him. It just didn't quite look right. I don't know why. Perhaps it'll sort itself out over the next few. few it needs to because red or black didn't do very well either. I'm afraid in the uh, in the ratings and the show was dire. How lucky! How lucky! Now I don't know. Dawn would know this because I think she's been to a red or black. They're filmed in advance, aren't they? 
They're not, they're not done live. Are they done live? If they're done live, well, then it was, it was dead lucky they found somebody to win half a million quid. If it was pre-recorded, quite clearly, they, they, they just put the programme on there, which they think is going to get the biggest audience. So they, they, each show, as you know, stands alone, like a lot of these quiz shows. So when they record them, the, the show that goes out as number one could, in fact, be the fifth show that they've recorded, because that was the one that the presenters actually got into. And this could have been that. I don't know. I, I don't know if it's done live. Somebody will have to tell me about that one. Uh, I think the emails are up the spout uh, this morning. I've got no idea why. We don't seem to get nothing since Friday on there. So we'll, we'll come back to those in a moment. 84850. Steve at lbc.co.uk. Peter Andre's new programme aired and died, I'm afraid. It, uh, it was the usual pile of rubbish from Peter Andre. I mean, the, sh- the show was so dire, it was, it was nearly good, but it was still awful. It was just dreadful. It, it just... For some reason, it just doesn't work. Peter Andre, they're obviously trying to come up with vehicles to put him on the television and come up with things. And and it just didn't work. There was nothing about it. Peter Andre, I'm sure he's very... And he loves his children, you know, which is great. I don't have a problem with that. It's just that he's just so naff. I mean, he really is naff. And he was dreadful on this programme. So that, that unfortunately, went by the wayside for me. I did flick on... And I did discover a little bit of uh, Jonathan Ross's chat show, which was very good. Had Colin Farrell on. He seems to be off with the pixies, doesn't he, really? And uh, who else was on there? Tom Daly, who for some reason is best known to himself, has decided to have a tattoo. I don't think your father would have approved of that for some strange reason. I don't know why. I'm not, uh, not a big fan of tattoos. He's got the Olympic rings under his arm. Very odd. Very, very strange. Uh, 84850, steve at uk. And then I did watch The Only Way is Essex, which was good news, because Sam Fears went with uh, Joey Essex to visit her father in prison. It's marvellous, isn't it? What a class family. What a class family. And again, you've got people arguing and, and people, you know, because I know you wouldn't say this, babe. No, you wouldn't do that. And then they've got the gay guy who doesn't fit in with anybody. He really doesn't fit in with anybody at all. I, don't, I think he's on there as some figure of fun. This is the one who might be interested in Charlie, because Charlie is straight. Well, we think Charlie's straight. We're not too sure, actually. And Gemma thinks there's something going on. But uh, she needs to look at her own life before she starts working. But some of the stories are so stupidly set up. The other day, they had a Jolly Boys outing to South End, And it was just awful. And then, for some reason, two of them... I can't remember which two it was, end up in a gay bar and they have some, some pathetically set-up scene where some bloke comes up to them. Well, apart from the fact they've got cameras all over the place, they're just doing something. And they were coming up with things like, how do you know if somebody fancies you? Perhaps he'll slap you on the arse, said one of these thickos from Essex. I tell you, I've never heard such rampant homophobia in my entire life. I'm surprised there's not been complaints to Ofcom. I'm sure there will be. I'm sure there will be. 84850, uk. Uh, I did go through the, the papers and cut loads of things out. The good news is, new research, you're going to love this one, especially at this time of the morning, shows that early risers are slimmer happier and healthier than night owls. So, pfft, to the rest of you, OK? It's the early risers are the ones who get it. John Wise will come round to you later. And, um, and all the people talking about uh, X Factor. Strangely, nobody mentioning the fact that Louis Walsh looks like Liberace now. Uh, and also, everybody, the worst programme on the television, the worst programme by miles, and this is with all the critics today, is, I'm afraid, let's do lunch with Gino and Mel. Kevin O'Sullivan writes, I've got a better idea. Let's not. You know, I mean, she is as dim as a brick. He is just irritating and infuriating and just naff. The programme, zero rates. It is of no interest. I mean, (laughs) I mean, 
Melanie Sykes, I mean, I don't, I don't want to sort of, you know, speak ill of the dead, but frankly, she is as thick as a plank. The other day, um... Uh, you know, first of all, we have to suffer with the indecipherable Gino De Campo, who still hasn't quite mastered the English language. And then you get Melanie Sykes. Now, she was never much cop anywhere as a television presenter. They've tried her on everything. She's now, you know, she's engaged now to a bloke she's only known for three months. And she started tweeting pictures of her in, in her underwear. She's quite clearly all there in the brain department. But she has a superb live interview technique. The other day, the guest was Nick Knowles. Is your fiancé all right handling meat? Yes. Deadpans, Nick. She handles meat for me. And that, that was the state of that programme. Melanie Sykes, of course, who is quite clearly got one of those potty brains, I'm afraid, sort of happily goes along with all of this drivel. It's the biggest pile of rubbish I've ever seen on the television, but I do like watching it. Uh, Lulu has come out and, sorry, no, and declared that she wants to be a judge on The Voice. Which is good. I think she'll do... Oh, God, sorry. Just... just I, I know why I cut this paper out. Because there's a picture of Melanie Sykes wearing an inappropriate uh, outfit for a woman of 42. I'm sorry, dear. If you want to look like trailer trash, go and live in America. Don't do it over here, OK? Makes you look a little bit silly. Uh, Gary Bushell, talking about uh, programmes which are good, programmes which are bad. Nobody's watching Celebrity Big Brother. A bit sad, really. And wait for this one. Robbie Williams, barking mad as usual has uh, shortlisted, together with his wife, who as godmother to their unborn child. Only Sarah barking mad Ferguson. The former wife of Prince Andrew became friends with Robbie and Ada, that's his wife, when they met on holiday in the Caribbean island of St Bart's in 2011. Because Sarah Ferguson doesn't actually do anything apart from go on holidays and toady up to people who she thinks can help her out in her... Her quest, I suppose, for world domination. But as Sarah Ferguson is looking as... Eight, I mean, she's only 52... She's only 52 and she looks so old. And now, so Robbie Williams, who's very much into fair-weather friends, has decided that she could be the, the godmother. Try and pick somebody with money, Robbie. Why don't, I mean, what, what's up with Gary Barlow? Gary Barlow, far more entertaining, I'm afraid. Far more entertaining. New star Ella Henderson believes she can help, she can win the, uh, the talent show. I think she was on X Factor. With a little help from, wait for this one, her dead grandfather. Well, thank God for that. Oh! Dear, oh, that we should all bring our dead grandfathers back, and then uh, and they can watch over. I thought they'd done away with this stupid kind of television before. I thought I thought we'd seen the end of it, where they go, listen, we're going to have people on here who can sing. They had some great guy on there, who was uh, who was obviously very nervous and laughed nervously at the end of everything he said, and he had the most amazing voice, Jamey, I think his name. I mean, um, absolutely unbelievable. Voice. He'd auditioned before. How he'd slipped through the net, I don't know. They're obviously short of talents. They brought him back. I mean, I mean, quite clearly, if he doesn't win it, it's a fiddle. You don't want the stupid pink woman because she can't sing for toffee. And you don't want somebody who's going to be helped by the spirit of their dead grandfather. I mean, that kind of thing we don't want, I'm afraid. Uh, time now. Quarter past four. This is LBC 19.3. London's biggest conversation with Steve Allen. The good news is Louis Walsh has said about the X Factor they don't want anybody on there who's a drunk. You know, they don't want any of uh, people like Frankie Cocosa, you know, a sad, you know, a sad, pathetic person whose career is finished. Uh, to Lisa, not really sure what, what, what she does actually. She can't sing either. I didn't realize until I watched the V Festival just how awful she was. It's an awful lot of hype, an awful lot of hype, but her agent does very, very well indeed. Um, I'm talentless, says Celebrity Big Brother's Danica. 
Yes, I don't think we disagree with that one, darling. I don't think... She was called a prostitute by one of the other... I think by uh, Jasmine Leonard. She called her a prostitute because she admits that she um, she uses men to buy things for her. So it's like... A, it's a form of prostitution. Prostitution doesn't mean sex, as you all know. It means that you if you prostitute yourself, you don't... You know, you could just sort of sell yourself to somebody. They don't have to sort of do anything. Uh, and then we have the situation. I, to be honest with you, I don't, I don't know what he's doing in there. Julie Goodyear, who is... I don't know. She's as mad as a brush. She's so funny. She's so funny. She's mad as a brush. And then Colleen. Uh, and then you suddenly realise that Colleen can't sing for Toffee either. Bit of an embarrassment there, although she is conning the public. Not very good at all, is it? Uh, papers this morning are full of uh, Julian Assange. Oh, she'd go. I'm so bored with him. When he, when he does this, hello, can everybody hear me? Oh, I think, yes, yeah, sadly we can. Sadly we can. Uh, plus the heat. And uh, I think it's going to run under uh, Prince Harry drunk. So back to the usual kind of thing. He went to Las Vegas, and um, and Harry looks as though he's well the worse for wear. I'm afraid with a load of people joking with a Las Vegas cop. It's it's Harry at his worst when he's had a few drinks because he becomes the leery chav, which we know, which we know he is all the time. Occasionally he sort of tries to pretend to be royal. I love the story in the paper though. I don't know if you saw it yesterday. It was it was a wonderful woman called Sema. Same has been in the papers before, and you must know about her, because she's the woman who slept with Sen Goran Eriksson and then sold the story. This time, uh, it's the uh, the love rat ex-England boss Steve McLaren, who's battling to save his marriage after the son caught him cheating on his missus again. Uh, this is cheating with um, with uh, with a, this this woman here, Seymour. Uh, Seymour, I don't know who she is, but she obviously makes a living selling stories about who she's been with in the papers. And... Um, it's it, it, strangely enough. I, I read her story yesterday, and I just felt sorry for her. I just thought she came over as some poor little desperate person who only hangs around with rich men so she can get her fizzog in the papers. I couldn't think of any other reason why she did it. And, she, and then she said something to him like, "Oh, you know, I realised he was married when I saw the ring, and I met him in the same bar that I met Sven Goran Eriksson." I thought, "You really are a tramp, aren't you?" I mean, I don't know why these people want to sell their story. Is it fame? Is it something that they have inside them? There's this desperate urge to tell people what they do. It turns out that she she's a web designer or something, so she's not even in an interesting job, poor soul. And um, and there's a a lot of people are saying, can we have an end to these these old tarts who go out there, pick men up, and then sell the storage to the paper? Listen, if he cheats on his wife, it's his business. It's got nothing to do with us. It doesn't make any difference to his job, does it? He's not sleeping with the team. Why would they worry about it? Well, they're they're, they're changing all the doggies. You heard that earlier on? They're changing all the rules. For some strange reason, the Kennel Club have now stuck their six penneth into the ring. I don't know, we've had dancing dogs for donkey's years, and now the Kennel Club have opened their big trap. This is the Kennel Club who have lots of members who abuse animals. We know this, we've seen people who are members of the Kennel Club, and they've done horrible things. You go, are you sure? The things that the Kennel Club have allowed dogs to have done to them, you know, with tails and... Oh, doesn't even bear thinking about it. And so now they've decided that um, they won't have dogs dancing around on chairs because they could fall off and hurt themselves. They won't have, have dogs uh, jumping from somebody's shoulder. To be honest with you, why don't you mind your own business? Nobody's interested in the Kennel Club anymore. You don't hold any sway with anything. You know, say you have Crufts. A lot of dogs walk around with poncy names, and that's about it. Uh, they, they, they fear the dog might fall. Listen, dogs survive an awful lot better than you might imagine. You have to explain things to the Kennel Club. And so, um, the Sun are running a campaign to combat killjoys who have lost common sense. 
and I think, actually, the Kennel Club have lost all sense of common, I'm afraid, here. Because, you know, if these dogs want to do it, let them do it. We don't... They've been doing it for ages. Why have they got involved now? Have they got somebody new? And to the the two young children mown down by a driver the other day, um, this is uh, Sabah Salim, 10, and brother Rayan were fighting for their life. Uh, there was a driver who came at them. I don't um, Whether it was intentional, I've got no idea. I don't think so. They just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. He knocked them down, and then, unfortunately for him, he sped off. Now, they know it's a Vauxhall Astra. They know the year that it was made, so they've narrowed it down to people who live around that area. Now, they've already said, and they've made it quite clear, if you don't turn up at the police station, there's going to be a knock on your door, and God help you then. Because there's only a, a number of cars in that area that fit this description. So they will find it. They will... F- I mean, it, it'll, t- it'll take them, you know, somebody sitting for a couple of hours in front of a screen at the police station. But unfortunately, the person who actually knocked them down is the cowardly person who is sitting at home at the moment thinking, they won't find me. They will. Now, they'll either be drunks, or failing that, there'll be something the matter with them. You, you mark my words. I mean, how they could have left them bleeding in the street, I've got no idea. Would you do the same thing? Is that the kind of thing people do nowadays? You don't want to hang around? Not good. You know, there's a meerkat toy sold every 30 seconds. Every 30 seconds, somebody buys a meerkat toy. I can understand why. They look fantastic. I had one in the office. Every day I came in and I picked it up and looked at it. I thought, you know, that's such a clever thing. I'd love to make the guy who does the voice. Love to make the guy who does the voice of the, uh, of the meerkat. And travellers moved on. As I say, travellers do travel, but then they, when they move on somewhere, they moved in down the road in uh, Essex the other day. The, the rubbish they left behind, the filth, the filth and the rubbish was disgusting. Seven caravans pitched up on Marlborough College's field on Thursday evening. They, uh, they're off already. I, th- I still think the bloke at Hampton Court had the right idea. A load of travellers pitched up there. And, of course, I mean, they have no respect for anybody's property or anything like that. They're just absolutely disgraceful. And they pitched up and the farmer said, it's pig slurry time. And they went, yeah, mate. And he went, I have to slurry this field. The slurry's in the thing. Seven o'clock tomorrow morning, we'll be slurrying the field. Yeah, right. Seven o'clock the next morning, he was there. Six o'clock with his, uh, with his machine, which you fill up with pig slurry, for that read, poo. And then you spread it over the field. It fertilises the field. And at seven o'clock, nobody was showing any signs of moving. So he turned the machine on. Do you know, they were out of there so fast. It was so funny, actually. Hilarious for us watching. Absolutely hilarious. This is the guy here, Jamine Douglas. What a voice. Check him out on YouTube. Check him out on YouTube. Absolutely the most... He did Etta James's At Last. At Last. I mean, it was just amazing. He's a devout Christian. um, And he doesn't smoke or drink. He's never had a girlfriend. He says no sex before falling in love. Uh, he says, I can't stand clubbing. I'm quite religious and a church goer. What a voice! What a voice! I mean, it was just unbelievable. Unbelievable. I mean, really was the, the best voice I'd heard in ages. Where you market him, I don't know. But they had an interesting programme looking at talent shows. And they looked in particular at the early ones with Marty Kane and Nina Mishkoff. And uh, it's a repeat, this programme. But the one thing that they did do, they showed Simon Cowell when it was the... Was it was it pop? Pop something? Anyway, it was the one that had Will Young and Gareth Gates on. And quite clearly... I mean, Gareth Gates comes on and he does the usual thing. His, his very first entrance on television. I remember it because I was watching. And they go, what, what's your name, son? And he goes, my name's... And we sit there for ages. And, we, and eventually, he five minutes it took, five minutes before he went... Gareth Gates. 
And they went, and they then talked to the judges afterwards. They said, did you worry? They said, well, we thought if he can't speak, how's he going to sing? But of course, as you know, Gareth Gates opens his mouth and out comes, you know, voice of a winner. And so they go through the competition and it then became down to Gareth Gates and Will Young. And Will Young comes on and he comes from a very, a very middle class family, very nicely, you know, well to do, nice brother, well educated, nice family. And uh, quite clearly, Simon Cowell doesn't like him. And he tells him, he says, I thought that was distinctly average. And so Will Young thinks about it and he goes, and he starts, he doesn't argue with him, like, you know, the other people who throw their microphones down and use four-letter words. He doesn't do that. He stands there rationally and says, well, I don't think that was average. He said, and you know it wasn't. He said, I think that was actually very good. Very good. Well, of course, Simon Cowell hates him even more. Hates him even more. So when it finally comes to the final and you've got to the playoff, and of course, luckily by that time, Simon Cowell had pinned all his money on Gareth Gates winning. Together with, I think, one other woman on the panel. Everybody else on the panel, I think, decided that Will Young was by far the better singer. But the one who was probably more marketable would have been Gareth Gates. So when it was announced that Gareth Gates had lost, and it was Will Young who won, the look on Simon Cowell's face, and he admitted on the, on the programme, he said, he said, I was gutted. He said, gutted. He said, because I thought it was, it was going to be Gareth. He said, I didn't want, he said, I didn't, he said, quite clearly, he said, I don't like Will Young and he doesn't like me. Which, of course, you're allowed to, you know, it's allowed to happen, things like that nowadays. But uh, the look on his face, I mean, even Gareth said he was gutted. Gareth actually looks better now than he did then. Uh, <clears throat> so it's Waitrose Lemon and Lime, says Noreen. Do you know, it was, it was delicious. I went into Waitrose. And by the way, I've got to tell you about two supermarkets who are selling tap water. OK, they're selling tap water. In other words, you might as well stay at home, fill up the bottle yourself. Tap water. Oh, and Marks and Spencer will come back to you again. But... Waitrose lemon and lime. And all it is, it's squeezed lemon juice and squeezed lime juice in a bottle of water. Delicious. You could probably make it yourself, but for pound twenty, I couldn't give a stuff about it. I just bought it yesterday. And it was absolutely wonderful. It was the nicest... So I'm going to have to go back today to Waitrose to buy some more of this to keep in the fridge. Because ice cold... I, I even tweeted it yesterday. I said, ice cold? Oh! I think I've fallen in love. Sad news was that Winnie Johnson uh, died... Over the weekend, that's the mother of the boy that they're looking for out on the moors. They won't find him. I think it is a classic case now, isn't it, that uh, we really should bring back hanging and hang Ian Huntley from the highest yardarm. You know, what a callous piece of filth the man is. He deserves no respect from anybody. He deserves nothing but to die horribly in agony, like the poor children that he and Myra Hindley killed all those years ago. And then, in an effort to get himself some more publicity, comes up with this crackpot lie that he knows exactly where the body's buried. He knows nothing. He knows nothing. They should have hanged him years ago. So poor Winnie Johnson. She has left a, a request that they leave a space next to her for her son when he's found, because uh, at, at the end of life, she died not knowing whether or not it was true that he did know where her son was buried. So let's hope she thought that maybe they did find him and that they will bury him next to her. But sadly, at the moment, it is not the case. Rest in peace, Winnie Johnson. And imagine, along with 11 other numbers from the closing Olympic Games are now in the charts. It's good that imagine, wasn't it? I, I still like hearing it. I've heard a number of people singing it on the television recently, and it was very, very good indeed. Very, very good indeed. More stories from the papers coming up uh, very shortly, uh, including poor old Talisa wearing her underwear out on stage at the V Festival. And, uh, and it seems funny now that all these little groups there, like what, One Direction, one of them turned up, he got banged, he, he got t- banged up, he got done for speeding. 
48 in a 40 mile an hour zone. You don't imagine them actually driving, do you? You think they're all about 12 or 13, but uh, no. And Rizzle Kicks were there. I do like Rizzle Kicks. And, uh, and apparently Professor Green has warned his missus, Millie McIntosh, don't stretch my clothes. That and other stories coming up. LBC 97.3. Time now, 4.30. C97.3. This is London's biggest conversation with Steve Allen. Morning, Monday morning, LBC 97.3. Steve Allen's uh, early breakfast. 84850, steve at lbc.co.uk. We should have some of that lemon and lime. I keep trying, I was, as I was drinking it yesterday, I was thinking to myself, is this good for you? And I th- somebody said to me, it was only lemon and lime. It was only, it's only squeezed into, into a bottle of water. And, but I, I, it was so delicious. It was so delicious. I, I didn't. I didn't think it, because I thought it was going to have like loads of, of strange things in it, you know, like chemicals to make it. But it, it doesn't, and it didn't. So I might, I'm definitely going to go out and buy some today. We'll probably have somebody writing in later on saying to me, "Why don't you just go and buy some lemons and a lime and squeeze it? It wouldn't taste the same. I'm quite sure it wouldn't taste the same. It was absolutely wonderful. It really was. Don't forget, we've got a free podcast for you a little bit later on this morning. Plus, we have the uh, the usual podcasting, and uh, mirror this morning. This is Winnie Johnson, and uh, the story I've just told you about uh, her son, Keith. She, she was 78 when she died, and uh, she was never able to find his remains after he was snatched by Ian Brady in 1964. I see no logical reason why we should have. There's a piece in one of the papers today calling back for the death penalty. And, as I say, I think they should have done it first time round. Why Myra Hindley wasn't allowed to die in, uh, in agony, screaming, I've got no idea. I love Sue Johnston from the royal family. She she said she went on the lash with Liam Gallagher and drank so much she missed a flight. She's about to pop up in Coronation Street. She's when she came into us, she had a dreadful cold, and we we both suffered. I think on the same day, and Prince Harry has enjoyed a wet and wild pool party with Jennifer Lopez. Oh dear, Harry. Oh dear. I thought we'd seen the end of these days. I thought that we'd we'd sort of finished all of that kind of stuff, but obviously not. Red and black didn't do very well, I'm afraid. In the ratings, it struggled, fronted by Ant and Deck, and uh, they say here the first episode of the second series from 7.15 pulled in an average of 3.2 million viewers, and then just 3.5 million from 9.15. I mean, that's well down. I think they were 6.41 million last year when they opened the show. I mean, it's half. It's half. I mean, it's pitifully awful. Pitifully awful. Now, whether or not it's live. I don't know. Somebody will have to tell me who works on the show. There's bound to be somebody listening who works on the programme who can tell me if it's either pre-wrecked, in which case they put one out where they had a winner of half a million pounds, or it's live. If it is live, then they, then they were very lucky to find a winner. I see the grandmother of schoolgirl Tia Sharp has been warned not to attend her funeral. I would think that would be the safest advice for Christine Sharp that you could ever give her. Don't come anywhere near our family. Don't come anywhere near... She'd been warned by police not to return to New Addington. Uh, Mrs Sharp, we said to have doted on Tia. And spent many weekends looking after her. Is currently staying in a secret location. Has not been answering her phone. And uh, one, one friend says people have told her it's not a good idea to go to... Not idea to go... I th- think she'd be killed if she turned up at the funeral. Would you not? Can't, can't quite believe it myself, to be honest with you. That they would even think about a- attending the funeral. You'd be the last person they'd want to see there. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, more on Jameen in the paper today. I'm delighted with, for this young man. He only works in a supermarket. Um, he, um, he got a standing ovation. They wouldn't stop clapping. The most amazing voice. And just when you thought his voice couldn't get any better, it did. 
he kind of notched up. I don't know where you rehearse for something like this. But his voice was so stunning, I thought somebody has to snap him up and quickly. I just worried that maybe his voice might break or something. Because it, 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 it went so... I, I wasn't even sure whether it was off the scale. Must have been dogs running about all over the place, I should imagine. We were talking about um, the milk lady the other day in Open All Hours. who was played by Barbara Flynn, who was Frida Ashton in the show A Family at War. Oh, right, Barbara Flynn. She was a milk lady. Sadly, she's now best known as the narrator on Big Fat Gypsy Weddings, says Paul. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Well, we don't do anything about Big Fat Gypsy Weddings, do we? Not very exciting there at all. Uh, Neil says, uh, we're off to Universal Islands of Adventure in the morning to see Harry Potter. Can't wait for a nice cold butter beer. As Budweiser are now running low, thanks to us being here. We had a whole day at SeaWorld's Discovery Cove yesterday. They're over in Florida, as you know. And it was unbelievable. Very hard to convey how good it was. Received our wetsuits, snorkels and masks and went straight into the seawater lagoon, packed with loads of different colourful fish, ranging from three inch up to massive rays with wingspans of more than six feet, right under your legs. And then you go around the corner and there, right in front of more than 20 sharks, unbeknownst to you until you get closer behind invisible glass. For a split second, your heart kind of skips a beat. Oh, that must be wonderful, actually. So uh, little Ellie and I were the first to experience this and uh, gave a great story to the rest of the family. So Neil Biscuit, reporting live from Florida. He says, love to all the uh, lovely Facebook friends, Noreen and the gang. How wonderful. So SeaWorld Discovery Cove. They do do it well, the Americans. I don't care what anybody says. Whatever they do over there, they do it well. And they've, and they've got the weather. Oh, and I tell you something, we discovered it, it, it MI6. You know, Daphne on Eggheads. I was watching the programme the other day and actually she didn't know the answer to something. She actually not only didn't know the answer, she'd never even heard of it. And it was, um, the question was something, Some of Us Belong to the Stars was written by, oh, sorry, from the musical Billy, was written by, and then they put down three composers. And Daphne looked blankly at the camera and went, I'd never heard of Billy. And I thought, how could you never have heard of Billy? Quite clearly, the bloke presenting the programme had heard of Billy either, because all he had to say to her was, it starred Michael Crawford, and it was the Theatre Royal Drury Lane, and it was about Billy Liar. It was about a bloke who lives in a total fantasy world, and it was the first time I'd seen Michael Crawford on stage. I can't remember it for the life of me, actually. If it was mine, I went to see it for my 21st birthday. That was our treat. We went over the road, we had a meal in a restaurant, and it was my 21st birthday treat. And I can't remember if Michael Crawford had already been... Uh, in Some Mothers Do Have Them, well, that came out. It must have come probably before that. And on the strength of this, he did the musical. And one, and one of the songs in it was this Some of Us Belong to the Stars. It's a great song. But at one point, a huge train arrives on stage. I mean, obviously, it wasn't a real train. But it was so lifelike. It came with all this puffing and smoke came out and the train, and they all got on and then it sort of went. But it was a huge train. It wasn't like little Thomas the Tank Engine. And it was the fact that Daphne, and I remember I, write, I wrote it down. I had a little pad by the television and I wrote down, Daphne, never heard of, she said, I've never heard of Billy. Never heard of it. And I thought, God, I thought everybody had heard of that, especially a woman of her age. But, but she didn't. She didn't. Uh, Malcolm enjoyed one of the, uh, the best in conversations with uh, Cassidy Little. This was the uh, amputee. This was the Royal Marine who uh, went out to Afghanistan last year and uh, lost his leg, a little bit of his eye, and his other leg's a bit damaged, and he was our in-conversation guest. The only time we've never had, in inverted commas, a, uh, a celebrity on it. But by the, by the end of it, he is a celebrity, as far as I'm concerned. He's a celebrity. If you didn't hear it, then you have to, uh, you have to, uh, 
you have to check. You have to check and go onto the LBC website, lbc.co.uk. Also, X Factor's ratings. So, not only Red and Black not doing well, but Simon's other show. Apparently, an average 8.1 million. Now, that's not bad, 8.1 million, but it's, it's it's not quite good enough. They were hoping, I mean, last year, I think, debuted at 11 million. So, eight, so they've hemorrhaged three million. I think this time round, the weather has a lot to do with it. Also, the Olympics have a lot to do with things, especially with when they're compiling audience figures. If people are watching television and then you get some decent weather, the last thing you're going to be doing is sitting in. They're all outside in the weather. Kids want to play in the garden. They're not in there. They're not making up the audience figures. And, uh, and the advertisers leave in droves. So, still respectable figures of eight million. Red or black... Uh, I think people have seen it just as a shameless way of, of making money on the television, because I'm assuming it's got a premium rate phone line somewhere in it for you to phone up. They all do it now, every single television programme, from This Morning to uh, Loose Women, which I haven't seen for ages. I was still, I'm very surprised the other week when I saw Carol McGiffin pitching up to uh, support Colleen Nolan. Odd that, I thought, but there you go. Just me. Uh, here's, here's to Lisa. I mean, she apparently wants to be huge all over the world. Well, I mean, we've seen your little video, love. I don't think you're going to make it. I don't think Hollywood is prepared for somebody like you. But she can't sing. I mean, I was really, really disappointed. I thought she'd have a great voice. She's extremely average. Extremely average. Which, you know, bit of a shame. Bit of a shame. But there you go. I suppose having heard that pink singer. And then she sang her first song. And then it was wrong. And so they let her do another song. So they, because they make up the rules as they're going. And then at the end, she stood there and they said, no, that was the wrong. And she said, but you asked me to sing that. And then Talisa did her sort of acting face like we didn't. She said, no, we didn't. We di- when did we ask you to do that? Of course, it was the producers. The producers asked her to do that. Uh, Polly Vision. Polly wants to uh, spice up your television in the mirror today. So she's going to tell you what's hot and what's not, I'm afraid. What's not is uh, let's do lunch with Gino and Mel. She said, watch it and actually feel your brain cells dying. Both to... The the reason the programme doesn't work is because I think we've had enough of Gino DeCampo. You know, I frankly am so bored with it. I turned on the telly the other day and there was a a quiz show. I think it's the one with Bradley Walsh. And I looked at one of the... They had Marlon from Emmerdale, who's so boring, it's unreal. They had the bloke out of one of the, uh, the Irish bands who appeared in Coronation Street and then had another girl. I didn't know who she was. I sat there looking at her thinking, I'm sure I know who you are. And I couldn't I couldn't quite put my finger on it. It turns out it's the girl who does the numbers on Countdown. That apparently makes her a celebrity nowadays. God, we've plumbed some toilets, haven't we, in the U-Bend? And that was a new one. And then I turned on Saturday Kitchen, which was all going very well, and they had a woman on there and I kept looking at her thinking... Who on earth are you? And I suddenly realised she was my other least favourite chef on the television, Leslie Walters, a very irritating person who rushed around the kitchen like she was on acid. It was boring. Uh, so let's do lunch with Gino and Mel, you know, two of the worst presenters. Probably, probably individually, they're, they're probably OK, but together the programme is rubbish. I mean, his, his ego needs slapping down, and she just needs to go and get some uh, lessons on how to present television programmes. And, uh, and Peter Andre's Bad Boyfriend Club... So bad, it's good, but really, really bad. I mean, it really is bad. It's so dreadful. I mean, Peter Andre is just irritating. He's a simpleton. He loves his children. One of the few programmes. I don't think his children featured in this one. What's good? Celebrity Big Brother, says Polly. Accused. Stunning television. And The Newsroom. She says, clever, funny, moving, unmissable. But no, for me, it was Spice Girl Mel B. 
on The X Factor. They brought her in, and she sat there being feisty. Now, whether or not she was making a name for herself, or whether I think she was just being honest, that was terrible. That was awful. And um, it's... I mean, she is the from the Simon Cowell School of Judging. And the judging is, don't tell lies to people. So it's better to be cruel and to be kind. And she knows that you should tell the wannabes, who definitely aren't going to make it ever, the truth, and save them the time, effort... And agony. And that's exactly what she did. That's what she told them. It's, it's, I mean, it, it was just hilarious. Because at one point she said, I nearly fell asleep during that. It was so awful. And, of course, the audience boo. But she's absolutely right. Absolutely right. Uh, Polly does say here, I mean, she, she would have made a, a very good sparring partner for, for Gary in the live shows. And made mincemeat of Lulu Walsh, who appears to have had a demi-wave dyed his hair purple on top and silver at the back and sides, which gives him the appearance of wearing a toupee. He just looks like Liberace. I don't know, I don't know what's the matter with him, whether he's wearing somebody else's hair, or, or I don't know what's going on with him. He just looks odd. But she was brilliant. She was very, very good. I mean, if she wasn't intentionally making a name for herself as one of those aggressive judges, well, she did a very good job, because I, she convinced me totally. I was sitting there thinking, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, I think she's, she's got a foul mouth. I've heard her at times, you know, real potty mouth. But she was absolutely right. Why should you have to entertain these stupid people on the television who pitch up and you go, you can't sing? If I'd been there talking to that pink girl, you know, and then she came with a second song, I've gone, you can't hold a tune, can you? You can't sing for toffee. OK, so you look the part. But unfortunately, looking the part is not enough. You know, it's, it's just not. It's just not enough nowadays. And then she threw the microphone down, and then she kicked one of the pieces of the set, and she pushed the camera, and I thought, you're as stupid as you look, aren't you? You're as stupid as you look. And again, no talent. So, the big story this morning. First of all, Julian Assange is still here. Britain's Olympic gold medal heroes were told yesterday they have no automatic right to an honour after a rule change. So, in other words, just because you've got a medal doesn't mean that you're going to get some honour in the New Year's honours list. Although I'm sure a couple of them will. Do you not think so? comes from the Prime Minister's office, and I'm sure that somebody somewhere will be saying something. Uh, Princess Anne and her husband, he's now a vice-admiral. A vice-admiral? I can't believe it. What does he do? I didn't think he actually did anything. And uh, Leo uh, McKinstry, writing in the Express today, says, Evil... Brady shows why Britain must bring back hanging. I think certainly for him, hanging would be too good. Hanging would be too good. More stories coming up in a moment. Quarter to five. This is LBC 97. Nick Ferrari after the news at seven this morning. He's going to be talking about Julian Assange, uh, a polarising figure, especially considering the sex crime allegation. So after his speech on the balcony, Nick will be asking the question, can you uh, be a woman and still support him? plus the latest on the Met's investigation to track down the killers of PC Keith Blakelock. All these years on, there's a horrendous uh, photograph of the uniform that PC Keith Blakelock was uh, was wearing on the time that he was killed by uh, all those uh, people, something like 10, 15 people, I think. When they actually found him, uh, he had a kitchen knife embedded up to its hilt in his neck, and apparently... One of the uh, group of people there, they wanted to behead him and put his head on a spike to taunt the police. And they've got his uniform. He was stabbed so many times. And yet they still haven't found the killer of PC Keith Blakelock. The killer is actually out there now, probably listening to this programme. The killer is out there. Eventually they will find somebody. They just have to, they just have to go the extra mile on it. But, I mean, absolutely driven. You think what that poor man suffered. 
Absolutely dreadful, dreadful. Melissa Kite will be looking through the papers this morning, who's contributing editor at The Spectator. All of that and more with Nick Ferrari and the team this morning from 7 on LBC 97.3. Uh, Daily Mail today, we've got a picture of Gwyneth Paltrow. Gwyneth, Gwyneth, Pastro, Gwyneth Paltrow, who says, I'm past having babies. That's good. And uh, if your cat... Mew, meows you, mews you, meows you for titbits from the table or rubs against your legs as soon as you open the fridge, it means it needs therapy. Apparently, it seems you may need to dish out some psychological treatment rather than a bowl of whiskers. God, what cats have whiskers nowadays? According to a group of vets, if your feline pesters you for food, it could be a sign they're in the grip of an eating obsession. Doesn't seem possible, does it? Whilst doting owners might find it endearing when their hungry moggy mews and paws at them, the researchers say this eagerness to eat can indicate psychogenic abnormal feeding behaviour. <laughs> that read. But it's like dogs. <coughs> I tend to find that uh, with, with dogs, you put food out in a bowl and they'll eat it. If, if you kept filling the bowl up with food, the dog would keep eating. I think same as cats. I mean, our, our cat, years and years ago, we would put the bowl of food out. I mean, I've, I've often said, on a cold winter morning, horrible, stinky salmon cat food was the last... You'd open the tin of it, oh, don't let, get any of this on my hands at all, it was so vile. And the cat would eat, eat it all up, and then come and want to lick your face. I used to politely pick it up and put it back on the floor again and go, no, you stay down on the floor. And, uh, and, and, and I never thought about, actually, just keeping feeding it. So in the end, we sort of, we did a mixture of wet food... And dry food, you buy these pouches now. And it's quite big business. Some bloke had a, a website to do with cat food and to find out which was the best stuff for your cat. And he's just sold it for a few million pounds because it's a huge business. It's a billion pound business a year. Pet and cat food. And pet and uh, pet insurance is another fairly popular thing as well, isn't it? I'm looking at all the pictures of the, of the people standing outside there listening to uh, Julian Assange taunting the UK in a tirade on the embassy balcony. It's hilarious. I know Hans Crescent very well indeed, because we used to live there, so I know exactly where it is. And in fact, I hadn't even any idea that that was the Ecuadorian embassy. It's amazing, isn't it? The, these, these embassies, they all are in the poshest bits of London. Knightsbridge, you know, very, very posh. There's quite a number of embassies around Knightsbridge. Makes you wonder how... The, I suppose our embassies are in good bits of other countries as well. But uh, here are all the police in an operation. I mean, I've never seen somebody... Pl- he's standing on a balcony. He's not going to come down. Why do you need so many people there? It's, it's just a complete waste of money. Absolute waste of money. Who's selling tap water? I'll tell you who's selling tap water. Tesco and Asda. Immoral, it has been called. They're selling bottled tap water. They say... And they can't call it tap water. Uh, they actually say that this bottle tap water comes with a use-by warning to drink within three days of opening. The stores claim their filtration process makes it unfair to describe the product as tap water, but that's exactly what it is. And as anybody will tell you, the drinking water inspectorate, and I will tell you this once, 99.96% of all tap waters meet the UK's high quality and safety standards. Okay, You don't need to have it filtered anymore. The idea, they say here, that anybody would actually take tap water and sell it back to you is almost laughable, with a markup of 2,500%. That's Tesco and Asda selling filtered mains water at 17p for two litres. It's just disgusting. Yet there is nothing to identify them as merely filtered tap water, and now experts are calling for a change in the law. 
Um, it's a real danger here, says uh, Jacob Tompkins of Waterwise, that the people are being bis- misled by the way these bottled waters are being labelled. They're taking tap water that is perfectly good to drink and has already been filtered and checked many times. They're then filtering it again for no good reason, sticking it in a plastic bottle, transporting it hundreds of miles across the country and leaving it on shelves to get hot and cold for weeks on end. Exactly. Don't buy it. Incidentally, our good friends at Marks and Spencer's are still ripping you off on the Sunday papers, I'm afraid. I'll have to have a word with them today, because this must be about week 16 now, and still they've done nothing about it. They've been told about it, and they're still not doing anything. Quite clearly, they're more interested in in taking your money and not giving you what you're supposed to be getting. The papers affected are The Sun on Sunday, The Daily Star on Sunday, and The Daily Express, all incorrectly marked up. And I should have actually tried, shouldn't I, uh, there till... I'll have to do it. I'll, I'll try one more week. I'll buy my papers next week at, um, at, I'll go to Kingston, I'll buy them there, because quite clearly, uh, the Marks and Spencers in Twickenham have been told about it time, and I said to the bloke as we're going through, I said, it'll be marked incorrectly, so he put it in, and what does the sun come up as? A pound. I said, it's 50 pence. So there'll be loads of people who don't stand there watching the till, every week getting ripped off by Marks and Spencers, to the tune of about, you know, just under a pound for the three, three papers. I think the Daily Star comes up as 95 pence, but it's, it's 70 pence. Says it on the front of it, it's been 70 pence ever since it started, as far as I know. And I suppose at one time it might have been, but they haven't bothered changing it. They really haven't. Uh, everybody talking about Louis, Louis Walsh's hair, I'm afraid, in the paper. They say now it's because it was all thinning before, and he looked like Louis Walsh. Now he looks like he's got a toupee on, and it doesn't quite look right. I mean, he's 60. And, but by the time he's put his makeup on, he's obviously had Botox. In fact, I, I think he might have been through, through the Simon Mill, because I think he's had his teeth done. He's had Botox. He's still jowly. That's the trouble. He's an old... He's 60. He's a, he looked better before. There was more of a... There was more... He looked like Louis Walsh. Now he looks like some freaky American. It, it just doesn't look right. I mean, he's got this darker thatch, which, is, which has been dyed on the top and not dyed on the sides. I don't know how, quite how they've achieved it. But he ends up looking like, like a strange version of Liberace. It's not a good look, I have to tell you. Not a good look at all, I'm afraid. 84850, uh, One man, 100 police. Yes, I know, I know, I know. It's ridiculous, isn't it? Uh, 84850, steve at Uh Oh, I didn't know anything like that. I should check that one out for you, John. Uh, another one here that's talking about... I'll tell you what they're, they're really funny about on the, in the papers at the moment. Wind farms. I go down to Reading and I go to the Majeski Stadium and they've got a huge turbine... A huge turbine, which, which is like, it's like the biggest aircraft propeller you've ever seen in your entire life. And I don't know what it's, it must be generating something for somebody. And, and I've got no idea why people are anti them. And then you look at what they look like out in the countryside or off sea. And there's loads of them. There's blooming loads of them out there. But if it says, are they really that unattractive? No. Could, could they not paint them to fit in with the environment? You know, if you had one out there, if it's white and it's in the middle of a blue sea, it's going to stand out. If they painted it blue, it would disappear, wouldn't it? So I see no reason why, really, over on the moors of Wuthering Heights, they're worrying about a second wind farm. Because if, if it can reduce the price of electricity, 
then, uh, you know, I'm all in favour of it. Mind you, I don't live there, so it doesn't actually make any difference. Somebody's pointed out that Del Boy sold Peckham spring water. He did. He actually just filled it up from, from the tap, which is what these people are doing, except they're, they're then refiltering it again. But it doesn't need filtering. It's, it's perfectly drinkable out of the tap. All they're doing is flogging it to you at, uh, at, at, a, at a price to make a lot of money out of it. Mind you, I've got no idea where the water comes from in the Waitrose thing. That might be the same kind of thing, isn't it? Uh, 84850, uh, Another one here. And, uh... This, oh, I was going to try and bring you the weather, actually, but, uh... For some reason, I don't know, it's, it's, it's sort of, uh, It's sort of jammed up, I think, a little bit. We'll bring you the weather a little bit later on this morning. Uh, there's a man who's, uh, He's a cannibal killer. His name's Graham Fisher. He weighs 23 stone... And he's now received a gastric band uh, in some surgery in a private hospital paid for by the NHS. But he's, he's a killer. He's in prison. He's in prison. And they reckon this has cost £15,000. He was complaining to staff that he was too fat and he was given permission to have an £8,000 operation. Well, this is obviously the place to go to, isn't it? Prison now. You go to Broadmoor, you go, I think I'm too fat. And they go, OK, we'll sort that out for you, lover. You're right. Yeah, I'm fine. Even though you're a killer. He ate the flesh of one of the women he killed and he put on weight at Broadmoor Hospital. Bearing in mind, 90% of the people in Broadmoor Hospital are mentally ill patients. They are people for whom, you know, the real world passed them by a long time ago. But I don't see why, you know, actually we have to pay for something like this. Could we not, could we not have this man actually going on a diet and doing some exercise? Why do we have to pay for it? And the answer is, it's one of these things. I mean, all sorts of... I mean, this man has got a, a list... A list of, uh, of assaults on various people, some of whom he killed, some he didn't. But last year, I'm surprised to realise, <coughs> excuse me, there were 8,000 of these operations carried out. People who couldn't be bothered to lose weight. And so what they do is they have a, a gastric band fitted. And it's, it's a silicon band, and it fits around it. And I think, it, I don't quite know how it works. I think it just restricts the amount of food that your stomach takes in. But there again, why don't these people just lose weight? Why don't they just sort of, you know, get some exercise and lose weight? Makes it far easier. Why we have to, to pay £15,000 for this person to have it, I've got no idea. I just, I cannot understand, you know, anything that, you know, that, that justifies... There is no reason to justify any of this. No, you, you, you cannot justify anything. I was delighted to report, though, and I did cut it from the Sunday papers, but it's reappeared in the papers today, of, uh, of a benefit cheat. This is a guy called Abdul... Fanny Muzd. I think that's how you pronounce his surname. But anyway, he lived in a modest flat in Portsmouth. But in fact, he used to travel around Portsmouth in a motorised wheelchair. Of course, as you can well imagine, the end of the story is he actually didn't need a wheelchair. He was a benefit fraudster. He claimed to be severely disabled. He couldn't stand or... Mind you, every time I see somebody on one of these little things, I look at them thinking, I don't know, how ill do you look? And uh, the scam came to light when they noted that his, uh, his uh, paperwork wasn't in order. He apparently, uh, the care work he was supposed to be buying with £98,000 worth of payments, and he should, he actually put down Donald Duck on the payments, he put all sorts of different names, and it turns, so anyway, they, they've just jailed him, and he, he, he shouted at the jury, I am innocent like Jesus on the cross. Sadly, it's not, it's a benefit fraudster. The good news is that two of his friends, Jacqueline Taylor and her son Jason Gubb, will be sentenced later this month for posing as his carers and helping launder the money so he could continue receiving benefits. Oh, good. Three fraudsters in prison at the same time. Or they're also going to be deciding today 
what happens to the bloke, you remember who worked at the supermarket, and the couple came in and said, can you check our lottery ticket? And it turned out to be worth a million. He said, oh, he said, it's not worth anything, I'll throw it away for you. And then he put in the claim for the million. Luckily, he was so stupid, I think he'll be going to prison, don't you? News at five, next. On FM, online, Steve Allen. Morning, nice to be company. Dan uh, says, I've just started a week of nights, so finished just after five. He says, hooray. Talking of X Factor, got to laugh at the slanging match between Lord Sugar and Tulisa, asking what talent she has to be a judge. I know. She then called him a rude word because she's chav, and she's like that. You can imagine she's got a foul mouth. And, uh, I'm just thought of a joke, actually. Totally unrepeatable at this time of the morning. But, I mean, it's, it's interesting when people start twittering and start having arguments about things that go on. I mean, to be honest with you, what talent has she to be a judge? The answer is she has no talent to be a judge at all. But then you say, I quite like Lord Sugar. I interviewed him years and years ago. I like him. I think he's a nice person. I think he's very, very interesting. Uh, headline forecast for today. Oh, here we go. What are we going to... Oh... What are we going to have today? Oh, blimey. Any early cloud will clear. So we've got a dry night. Sunny spells, 25 degrees today, currently 18. Uh, tonight, dry and cloudy, minimum 18. Tomorrow, misty, patchy light rain spreading east. Isolated sharp showers in the west later, the high 24 degrees. And for Wednesday, Thursday, largely fine and dry with bright spells. And Friday, a chance of a few, a few thundery showers developing. I thought we were promised a bit of rain yesterday. And I, I looked out the, the kitchen window at one point and I thought, oh, we've had a little bit of rain which is quite nice. A little bit of rain, just sort of take the uh, the edge off everything. But, oh, it was so hot the other day. It was just unbearable. I found it. I was out there watering the plants, thing, and yesterday I didn't. I watered in the morning. So what I'll have to do when I get back today, I shall water the plants. I shall be fine then. I just didn't have the energy yesterday. I just did not have the energy to do anything at all. Uh, I got totally lost with the X Factor, says Paul. Bad enough... Uh, it was back in the first place. <coughs> Excuse me, but this time round, rather than the drama going on on stage they seem to be concentrated behind the scenes in the old days the contestants would come on stage to give their name and perform this time no sooner did someone take to the stage and they cut to the deluded pink woman zoe who to add insult to injury even had the luxury of two songs again yes you see they make up the rules as they go because if they go to something no you're not very good can if they then say look can i do another song they should in theory say yes because otherwise you can stand there and go this is a fiddle you let her you let her have two songs and anyway i mean to be honest with you she couldn't sing not for Toffee. I mean, it, it was bad enough, the first song. The second song she annihilated. Dreadful. And that's why we didn't have to put up with it for very long. It was just as bad when Mel B was guest judge. Cue a load of the hopeful, fretting about what a mood she was in. The singers could be heard and not seen. And seemingly, though, people were being put through, we didn't see them. I truly thought that after last year's criticism of both this and Britain's Got Talent over people with issues, the producers were going to get their act together. Obviously... Did not happen, I'm afraid. Uh, two human interest stories so far. Another thing I thought they were looking at stopping. Ella, <coughs> the, the girl who sang for Grandad. Her dead granddad's looking over her. No, he's not. And the young guy from, uh, from Buxton, Curtis Golden, who at 18 had a car crash, decided it was a signed audition for the show and came out at the same time. An event which he declared was a disappointing experience, according to the son. So it does explain why he looked totally bemused. Uh, when at the pre-audition interviews he was asked how he would cope with the female adoration two million viewers lost apparently and with the added attraction of the return of the non-event black and blue as it was christened by the journalist last time is Simon losing his grip well he still gets programmes that have that have good figures but but you have to ask the question don't you you have to ask the question has has the uh, the golden egg 
been laid once too often. Figures falling off, you're right. I thought that we'd, we'd done away, because they haven't done anything new with the X Factor. You've still got people in those lines. You know that's the audience. They're not people auditioning. That's the audience. We know that. Because Dawn told me that when they show all these lines of people there, they're, they're, you know, and they go, yeah, X Factor, they're not auditionees. And also to take Jedward out, I mean, two of the stupidest people in the world, I mean, quite clearly they've got mental issues, they're not all there in the brain department, are they? So they take them out and they start talking to people in the, in the queue, and that, that was a waste of time. Louis Walsh and his funny hair, the Liberace lookalike now, again, with nothing to say on the programme very much, because he doesn't know. I think he's deaf. I've decided he's not hearing anything at all. I think he just sits there and sort of... Because he does look a little bit like he's trying to be wise, but he hasn't quite offered anything in the uh, in the intelligentsia department. We're actually looking for a little bit more, a little bit more, I think, from, from Louis this time around. We're looking for them to up the ante. Talisa just comes over as naff and chavvy. Sometimes she can be really nice, and I quite like her. Other times you think, no, you don't know anything. You don't know what you're talking about. I'm sorry, we have to, we have to find somebody else. The, the other one was, we've had Nicole Scherzinger, but I did, like, I did like Scary Spice. I thought she was very good. Gary Barlow's good. Sometimes he's a bit drippy. But then they're, they're all going to be different every time they actually go on, aren't they? I think that's how, it's, uh, uh, worked, how, how, it, how it works. Uh, 84850, uk. Another quick one here. Can't be, can it? Can it? Oh, it's Bryn Williams. He says, uh, today, the 20th of August. Is it the, yeah, the 20th? I can't believe it's the 20th of August. Doesn't seem possible, does it? He said, I've made it to the great old age of 79, and it feels great. We're nearly completely settled into France. You know that him and Annie went over there. Uh, he said, just the odd box left, but the weather, oh, it's dreadful. Lovely, but dreadful. For the last three weeks, maybe more, it's been swelteringly hot with no let-ups. The temperature here has been between 35 and 40 degrees centigrade. That's in the high 90s and sometimes over 100 without a break. Clear blue skies and no threat of rain. It goes right through the night, but it cools down a bit and I go and sit in the terrace just outside the bedroom and cool down. Gorgeous garden in total darkness except the millions of stars in the sky. Total silence. Even the animals are asleep. No lights anywhere as we're miles away from the nearest village and it's lovely. So now, he says, we're praying for rain. Uh, and we, uh, to save having to water all the plants, which takes hours, we've got over an acre of land, which is great, and our new extension, a 30-square-metre lounge, overlooks the Dordogne. Annie is well, and sends you her love, and still wakes up to listen to you when she's not true crashed out with the extreme heat. Yours, your very old friend, Bryn Williams. 79, eh? Happy, happy birthday. It's my friend Jonathan Levi's birthday the other day. I sent him a thing saying, I feel so awful, I forgot to wish you a happy birthday. And, uh, he said, doesn't matter. So he was sitting by his pool. So if, if, you're, if you're lucky enough to have a pool... I bet every, we went out the other day, I decided to treat the, uh, the godchildren, because I love my godchildren, to fans, because it was so hot. And I have fans at home. And so I bought them three fans. So we go to Argos in Harlow, and they didn't have any fans at all, which, I mean, doesn't surprise me, because the, the argument is, oh, it's very hot, people are buying them. Well, bring in more! It's just bad management. It's sloppy management. If you see that you're going to sell out of fans and it's boiling hot weather, and, I mean, surely they must be intelligent enough in Argos to better read the weather forecast or at least listen to this programme, where I can tell, tell them it's going to be very, very hot for the next week. And if you've got no fans in, get fans in. I'm sure the fan companies want to sell loads and loads of them. So I go, and each fan that we actually tried for the kids, they were sold out of. 
And as we, as, as, we, as we came out of there, we went into home base next door, because it was on one of these trading estate things. Um, the kids said, you know, why don't they just get more in? Perhaps they're all sitting in the warehouse. I said, well, they probably are. It's bad, sloppy management. So look at the management, you know, walking around going, everybody all right? No, not really. We're looking for a catalogue. We're entering it in, and you don't have it in stock. Oh, well, there's been a bit of a rush on them. Well, get more in. It's like going into a shop and you go, have you got any cold water? No, we've sold out because it's hot weather. Well, put more in. It's just dim, isn't it? It really, it really annoys me, actually. Sloppy management is not very good at all. Uh, 84850-stevedalebc.co.uk. Uh, on the subject of the Waitrose Lime and Lemon, uh, it's got added sugar, but not sure how much, says Sandra. Well, they said it didn't. They said it didn't. I mean, I, I did look... I'll have to go and look on the bottle again, because it just, it, it just tasted of lemon and lime and water. And it was, it was squeezed. It was hand-squeezed, they said, which made me feel a lot better about life, which is very good. Uh, <coughs> Bobby Madger says, uh, Ian Brady wants to die, so we mustn't help him. Somebody said that they have their own way of dealing things, you know, metering out their own judgment in prison. Well, quite clearly they don't, because he's still alive. But, but, but what, what he's done now is possibly the cruelest thing, proving what a sadistic killer he really is. And you're so glad that Myra Hindley's dead, all of you, I know. And uh, you just hope that he dies horribly as well. The stupid thing is, he, he went on hunger strike 12 years ago. We're force-feeding him. Why don't we just let him die? Do us all a favour. I think they're hoping, but of course you know it's not true, that he's going to reveal the whereabouts of, uh, of that boy's body. And, of course, he won't have the faintest idea. The man is mentally ill. He's just an attention seeker. As I said last week, he would love the attention. If, if they then said, all right, we'll, we'll take you up to the moors, it would be a, an expedition, wouldn't it? There'd be all the police officers up there standing on all the little hillocks. He'd be in the middle. The press would be up there with their cameras and their helicopters. And the man becomes a celebrity. Albeit for the wrong reason, as far as I'm concerned. Um... Mirror today. Oh no, Harry, we'd already dealt with earlier on, hadn't we? Really, but I, I do, I do feel immensely sorry for the uh, for the Queen as well as Prince Philip spends a fifth day in hospital. Now they're obviously getting him well completely, or failing that, they can't sort him out because he's ninety one. Apparently, when you get to ninety ninety one, you do get prostate problems, and so the Queen, not for the first time, is uh, off. She cuts a lonely figure in the car. You think they'd have found somebody else to sit with her, wouldn't you? So she... Oh, there is, actually. Sophie. Sophie went with her. That's all right. You don't like to think of her sitting there all by herself. Prince Philip, of course, they're, they're not allowing him to have any visitors at all. They've decided that this is sort of winding him up. So it's better not to give him visitors. So what he does, he he's probably bored out of his mind. You know what he's like. He's, he's a fairly... He's a very active sort of person. Very active sort of person. So to have him sort of now five days in hospital, it's the very fact that it's, it's Prince Philip. I, don't, I, I never quite get over the fact that sort of there are people there fiddling about, you know, within below the waist. You're going, it's Prince Philip, you know. <laughs> it just strikes me as, as somewhat peculiar. But they haven't decided when they're going to release him. I think that they will keep him in. And, uh, it, it, you know, if, if he has complete rest, then hopefully the infection will actually clear up. I mean, that, that's, what I would, that's what I would like to think. But if they're keeping him in there this amount of time, I bet he's lying there going, I can go out today, and they're going, nope, you're not going out today. We'll keep you in for another day. I think they just keep spinning him a lie just to make sure that he's 100% fit. News headlines with Dan Whitehead. Wife of a disgraced Chinese politician. is Biggest conversation with Steve Allen. I did like Scary Spice doing her bit. She was just so brutally honest 
on the X Factor. I, I like that. I think there's no point in telling fibs to somebody. If they're not much cop, you've got to tell them they're not much cop. Young Shallot wrote to me, young Jonathan Shallot, who represents Tulisa, as you know, and has been on LBC many, many times. God, you're up early this morning, Jonathan, are you? Not, it's not workout time, is it, or something? He says, Tulisa has sold over a million albums with her group N-Dubs, won five Mobos, and her first single debuted debuted at number one. I think that gives her the right to be a music judge. Uh, and read the two million viewers lost. The whole TV audience was down on Saturday with the weather. That's what I said. Everywhere, I mean, everywhere was down. If you've got nice weather, audiences suffer. What you really want is miserable and overcast. It's dreadful, isn't it? Still got 46, uh, 46% of the TV audience available. He said, hope all personally well. It is. You are up early, aren't you? Goodness, I can't believe it. Twenty past, You realise it's 20 past five. Have you done the clocks right? It's not like you, is it? 84850. Uh, read the three fans at your place, says Brian. Do you provide them with ensuite and Fullings' breakfast? No, but I do watch these programmes on the television where people go and stay in other people's guest houses. I love that. I love, They're also super critical. They go round, they run finger... Oh, God, they're dreadful. Absolutely dreadful. Dino says, the problem with X Factor, it's all the same. All the drips come on, sing... You know, the losers and the sadders, a few naff people, the winner can't sing and you never hear of them again. Well, they are around there. I, I like that. The, the programme's beautifully put together, but they should have thought of a new opener for it. Because it was the same. I'm not... I mean, the, the, the music's very good and they like, we like the music, that's good. But to show the same cue, I don't really know what else you can do with it. That's the trouble. It's, it's a programme that's, that's a victim of its own success. We know what it does. We knew about this girl, Pink, because when it happened, because the show was filmed ages and ages ago, I remember seeing her in the paper, and I remember thinking then, after the police were called, well, she's going to be cautioned. Is she doing it for publicity? Yes. And so what they did when the programme came back, they said, oh, and of course, tonight is the fact you're going to see this girl who's, who does a, a Pink tribute act losing it. I think she, she pushes a cameraman's camera in his face and she, she kicks over something. I just thought she was immensely stupid. Apart from the fact I didn't think she could sing for Toffee. That was the, that was the only reason. And, and then she brought, then her father came back out on stage with her. And, uh, and then the security turned up. And it, all, all in all, I just thought, you made yourself look silly. I realised that, you know, she's the one who gets all the publicity in the newspapers because she behaves badly. But I don't think we should encourage people to behave badly on television programmes. That's why I like, I like Mel telling them as it was. You know, you, you give up now. It's like somebody saying, oh, I think I'll be a radio presenter. You go, yeah, OK, well, go and be a radio presenter. But don't just think it's a, a walk in the park, I'm afraid. So I understand how X Factor works, and I've always said it's beautifully put together. When they do the compilation programmes, to be honest, I don't think Caroline Flack's a particularly good presenter. Uh, Ollie's OK. Uh, but to bring out Jedward again, I mean, it's, it's like scraping the barrel, as far as I'm concerned. Not, uh, not good for me. But I think uh, Mel B, perfect for the panel... But she's been replaced by the bland fembot, which is Nicole Scherzinger. But uh, over on Celebrity Big Brother, I haven't seen any of it. I haven't seen any of it. I've just read the little tiny bits. I thought that uh, Richard Desmond's papers over the weekend were going to be absolutely chock-a-block with, uh, with what was going on in the house. And, and they, they weren't. I thought there were going to be loads and loads of bits. Instead, there was a rather lame interview with Colleen Rooney on how she's happy with the way her body is, like I'm remotely interested. Uh, I am interested in Julie Goodyear, Jasmine Leonard, who's, uh, who's quite foul-mouthed. I mean, she's launched into a few people on there. And uh, Julian Clary, who's not, um, <laughs> just not bothering. He's just carrying on, really. And has got some, uh, some, great, some great lines. But Julie Goodyear is everywhere. I mean, she's absolutely... She is, <coughs> you know, I mean, a complete hodgepodge of all different characters... 
you know, so, sometimes she... I mean, I suppose, really, in her mind, she's still in Coronation Street. She's still, as they used to say, she was the Queen of Coronation Street. But, of course, she wasn't. The Queen of Coronation Street was Pat Phoenix. Judy Goodyear came along a long time afterwards. And, it, and she, was, she was a character... When she came back, though, she suddenly realised that things had changed an awful lot and it didn't, didn't sit well with her. But I was, I was fascinated watching her. It's almost like watching somebody in the final throes of an existence. Try, you know, she, she doesn't think she's being balmy or anything like that. She thinks that's quite normal behaviour because she behaves a little bit like a diva, but without actually having a job. She doesn't actually have a job anymore. She was an actress, and, and now she's not an actress. Now she's a diva on a television reality show for, I'm assuming, 100 grand, 150 grand. I don't know how much they pay for these things. Jonathan would have to tell us on that, I should imagine. Um, troubled football legend Paul Gascoigne has spoken about the time that he relapsed. He'd been, he'd been sober for 19 months, and then he relapsed. And I've always said, once a drunk, always a drunk. Once an alcoholic always an alcoholic. It only takes that one drink to put you back on it. And he said, I had 19 months sober, I had two cans of lager, and I was drunk again. And so he's, he's fallen off the... And that's what alcoholics do. They go for a period, they go, oh, I've done really, really well. It's like being a smoker, except it's marginally more dangerous to be an alcoholic. Especially when you've got no idea. I see them around our way. We have loads of drunks who, who sit by, by the river. And the police tend to leave them alone. But uh, they're a waste of space, most of them. They've ju- they just, they're, they're quite clearly not interested in rehab or giving up or anything at all. They just sit there drinking. And I went up to Hanwell the other day, and uh, there were two sitting on a bench. When I came back, one was stretched out on the ground. They don't last five minutes, these people. I mean, he's been into the Priory. He's been everywhere. I don't know what else you can do for Paul Gascoigne. He's had these things fitted. George Best had the same, so that the drink would make him ill. But these people learn to overcome that. Like people have gastric bands fitted and then they, you know, their jaws wired up to stop them eating. It doesn't help because all they do is they just learn how to get the food in their mouth. And so I'm, I'm of the firm opinion that poor Paul Gascoigne is going to drink like this forever. The only person who can actually stop him is him. He's had treatment for four to six weeks. But this time, he says, I booked myself in for six days. I could have left after three because I wasn't that bad. All I needed was to detox. I don't understand why people want to go and pay for this. Haven't you got friends that can help you detox? Can, you know, do, do you not have the... They never seem to have friends, do they? I often wondered where George Best's friends vanished to when he was found sort of propping up a bar and people would buy him drinks to say that they'd bought the great George Best a drink. And I'm afraid in the, in the case of poor old uh, Gaza, um, you know, he's, he is going to be a drunk. For the rest of his life, what he's got to do, somebody, even if you said to him, listen, you are going to die. If you continue drinking at this rate and you have these blackout moments, you're going to die. It wouldn't make any difference. You, you, can, you can tell people who smoke they're going to die and it doesn't make any difference to them. They know the dangers. I remember somebody said to me when I used to smoke all those years ago and they said, oh, you know that, uh, you know, that, that, that you're going to die. I said, I know. I said, you don't need to tell me. I know exactly what the, what the pitfalls are. I know exactly what the downfalls are. And I know exactly what the ultimate is. And I'm going to get emphysema and then I'm going to die. It's as simple as that. But you see people smoking all the time. Not as many, I admit. Not as many people out there smoking every day. I mean, you know, some people are very good and can just get by with one or two little cigarettes in the course of a day. I couldn't. I absolutely couldn't. I mean, I, I did miss 60 a day and loved every minute of it. I could probably happily go back to it now, but I, I wouldn't dream of it. 
I'd be so, so worried about going back onto cigarettes. And I know that it would only take one cigarette. I'm so glad that my godchildren don't smoke. Went out for... Sorry, I'm just opening my copy of Metro. Uh, we went out for dinner on Saturday night, Indian. A very nice Indian restaurant near to where they live. And, uh, and the food is delicious. And, um, and we had... Um, uh, what did we have? We had a vodka and lime. Four of us had a vodka and lime. Chris, Sharon, me, and uh, and Charlotte. We all had a vodka and lime. And it was the best vodka and lime I'd ever had. They did it in a tall glass with chopped up bits of lime. It wasn't just a slice of lime. It was ri- it was absolutely delicious. In fact, we actually had it. I had it. And then they all had a little try of it, and so we ordered four of them. But eating Indian food on a boiling hot day was not a good idea. We had to go outside after the first bit just to calm down. It was It was so, so hot. I read an awful story... <coughs> in one of the papers over the weekend, and it was about a man who'd come back from Afghanistan. He'd been killed, and his uh, mother decided that uh, this was a, the, the funeral director were going to sort everything out, and he was brought back to one place. Then he was moved on somewhere else, and uh, she went over to see him at the funeral home. And I think this story has run in the papers before, because it turns out that he'd lost his legs... And his hands. I think one of his hands. And she wanted to make sure that he was intact. She wanted to make sure that everything was there, that, that should have been there. And so she went back to the funeral home and she said, I'm, I've decided I want a lock of his hair, so could you open up the coffin? So they opened up the coffin first time round, but they only went down to his shoulders. That's what they normally do. If ever you go to a funeral home, you know, the, not the whole lid will be off. It, somebody will be covered up and you'll just see maybe the face. And so she then said, can I just, can we take the lid off? And she put her hand down the side and she said his hands weren't there. And so she wrote to the MOD and she said to the, to the woman in the funeral home, where are his hands? And she said, well, I have to tell you that he's, he's not complete. And so she wrote to the MOD and the MOD didn't even bother replying to her. They didn't even bother replying, but they did say, listen, we don't throw body parts away. And all she said is, I just want to know where they are so he can be buried with these things. And there was some reason why he couldn't have been. But it was the most awful story. I remember thinking, this poor mother has been through absolute hell and some bigwig in office somewhere can't even be bothered to reply to her, can't even give her the courtesy of saying, listen, this is what happened, and I'm sorry it's taken so long for us to reply, but nobody said that to her. And you do think, you know, having spoken to a soldier who came back, Cass Little, on, uh, on my In Conversation this week, and having sat with a person who had a leg amputated and watching how he managed to... Di- I mean, he was unbelievable. He only lost his leg a year ago, and already he was, you know, he's happily walking up and down. He's learned to do everything. He drives, he does everything, and it was, it was quite wonderful. If you didn't hear the interview, you need to go to the LBC website, lbc.co.uk, and, uh, and check it out. Uh, you have to, I think from as little as £2 a month you can download everything. But I believe, believe you me, I mean, £2 a month is absolutely unbelievably cheap. Unbelievably cheap. Um, for what you can download. Not just this programme, but everything on the station. And it goes back quite a number of years. So do do that, because you'll find some, some really, really good stuff on there. Really, really good stuff. Stuff that even I'd forgotten about doing. Um, more gloom for um, for Simon Cowell, but the pictures in the papers today of all the people, every time you get a nice sunny day, we all want to take our clothes off, don't we? We all want to take our clothes off and go and sit on a beach. And so here they are on Brighton a Beach, and um, and it's absolutely heaving. I can never believe that people actually ch- take push chairs onto beaches. They take everything, real chavvy people. They push the thing down, they set it all up, 
here, Chantel, come over here, doll. You know, all like that. It's like watching The Only Way is Essex, only in a slightly younger version. And so there's people with push chairs and windbreaks and parasols and umbrella, every covering themselves with ombre solaire. So you get all slippery and then you get all sort of, you know, bronzed and burnt to pieces, which is what I did yesterday. So the advice is, if you're going out in the sun, put some sunscreen on. It's LBC 97.3. It's 5.30. LBC 97.3. This is London's biggest conversation with Steve Allen. What in God's name does having a tattoo on your neck mean nowadays? It means you're stupid. There's a bloke in the paper today. He's a cyclist. His name's Aaron Denham. He's 22 and a nurse helped him after he was hit by a car. Okay, And in recognition of what she did, he's had her name tattooed on his neck just underneath his ear. You've never seen anything so stupid in your entire life. He says here, every time I look in the mirror, I'm reminded how it feels to have someone around who I owe my life to. Do these people realise that this is on your neck, it is stuck there till you die? We seem to be having a nation now of people, they, 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 they seem to work all over the place, music shops, Seems to be one of their preferred places. I've yet to find somebody working in a big department store with, with tattoos. I'm not sure whether or not it's, it's forbidden or, or whether or not people just, you know, they just, I'm sorry, somebody who's got a tattoo is quite clearly of a bit limited intelligence versus somebody who works in a shop. So he's got his glasses on and he's had a name tattooed on his neck and you think to yourself, are you stupid? The answer is here. This, uh, this woman, uh, you know, pinned him down and that saved his life. So that was, you know, that was good. But she's doing what, what, she's, what she's paid to do. It's very good and it's very nice. But you don't have somebody's name written on your neck, do you? God, dear. I do see a few people like this around and I, I do think to myself, it's going to be there for the rest of your life. You're going to look very stupid. You're going to wander up the aisle and here is mum, dad, you know, auntie Beatrice and, and everything. It just looks awful. Have them where, where people don't see them. It's better. All part of a balanced diet. 700 glasses of wine a day, apparently. Want to be... Want the agile balance of an Olympian gymnast? Oh, yes. Sit back, relax and indulge in a few glasses of wine. Antioxidant resvestrol, which is found in red wine, could make people more nimble by protecting nerves from damage. The only snag is you would need 700 small glasses a day to feel the effect, and after all that, you'd probably be dead and certainly not rotating on the pommel horse. Funny idea, isn't it? However, the possibility of creating compounds which mimic the effects of Revrostrol and are more easily absorbed by the body are now being investigated by scientists. I'd love the idea of being able to go on the pommel horse and to do the beams or to do the rings or something like that, but, I mean, frankly, it's just, it's just a distant, distant memory. It's never going to happen. It's just never going to happen. Absolutely not, but I'd, I'd love it if they did bring out a drug that gave you this, this ability, made you very nimble. I can't even... I was watching The Only Way is Essex, and Joey Essex leapt over a, a net the other day in his rather too tight shorts, and, and I thought, I couldn't even jump over a net. Knowing me, I'd, I'd forget to pick my legs up at the back and I'd fall over. So I'd have to put pillows down to make sure I sort of... I fell in the right, uh, right place. I love the way that Keith Lemon's got a film out. Apparently, if it does well, he's going to become a Scientologist. So assume he won't become a Scientologist. It's got all sorts of people in it. It's got Kelly Brook, Lee Francis, who is Keith Lemon. I just can't stand the character. I must be the only one in the country who can't stand the character. I think it's absolutely awful. I just find it irritating. They've got some silly programme which is out on the uh, <coughs> excuse me on the uh, television at the moment. I think on ITV Two, where he's in a, a fake house with a fake girlfriend. 
And, uh, I just don't get the whole thing. I, I, I understand celebrity juice. That's, that's a vehicle for, for people who can't string two words together. Uh, 84850. Uh, Jen agrees. Bringing a pushchair on the beach is chavvy. Of course it is. You don't take children on the beach at that age. It's just ridiculous. It's very, very sunny. That's why. Very chavvy, I'm afraid. Very chavvy. Push the, uh, the thing all the way sort of down onto the beach. Oh, very naff. 84850, steve at lbc.co.uk. Simon finds the X Factor annoying when all the judges put on their shocked faces. Well, they're, they're doing it because they're making a television programme. They're making a television... I think The X Factor was the first programme that actually showed people's reactions. They didn't, they didn't do that before. Now they actually do it, and then they show people backstage, and now, you know, now they, they sort of look at all these other factors on there. And it's, it's making a programme. It's making a programme, and they're, they're trying to make, you know, the best programme that they can, and that's why <coughs> it does well in the ratings, except when, of course... We have particularly good weather, and the entire country decides that we're actually a country of barbecue people. So we start wanting to sort of drag out the barbecue and and uh, and eat outside, which is I don't, we don't do it the rest of the time, do we? Although somebody pointed out earlier, which I thought was quite right, why do we only have uh, picnics in the summer? Why can't you have a picnic in the winter? We only ever have picnics in the summer. And they were doing a program on the television. I think it might have been the Great British Bake Off. It might have been. It might have been. I can't remember. But they were doing cakes and cupcakes. And I thought, that's actually quite nice. But it's, it's just a cheap programme, isn't it? It's, it's, just, it's just a cheap programme. Then I watched The Only Way is Essex, and I got a little bit confused by where we are in everybody's relationships. Uh, James Argent is, is quite clearly either slightly disturbed or very, very disturbed. Uh, because he either makes things up. You've got... I think some... I can't remember what her name is. But she has a brother who plays guitar. And uh, the brother who plays guitar is a nasty piece of work. I don't like him at all. Really don't like him. And I think he's going... He could be going out with Lydia Bright. But there again, she looks about desperate to go out with anybody at all. She's now started being rude about Arge. Joey Essex and uh, his girlfriend, Sam for Ears, she's the one with a father in prison. They went to visit him the other day, and that was very exciting, just so you get the real lowdown on Essex life. And lowdown does describe them very well indeed. Uh, Joey Essex, who's he's, he's just not really of the real world, little bit of a shame. Uh, Mario is the one with the, uh, with the dim girlfriend, who might or might not have cheated on her. See, the trouble is, I don't know what's real and what's not. I think all the stories are made up. Lucy Mecklenburg just sits there wearing too much makeup on. And then you've got Gemma, who can't sing, who might or might not be going out with Arge. And in the end, I, I just get confused by the whole programme, but I'm, I'm so strangely addicted to it, looking at all these dreadfully unattractive blokes with spots and blemishes and everything else. Joey Essex looks like he's wearing makeup, and then was playing tennis the other day, or attempting to. He couldn't play tennis for Toffee. He called himself semi, semi-professional, which was a bit of a lie, actually, because he couldn't even hit the ball over the net. In fact, uh, Sam Fears was actually getting the ball over the net better than he was. And so she said, what? he said, oh, I'm sweating. She said, why are you wearing that outfit? He said, because I look good in it. <laughs> which seemed fair enough, didn't it? He thought he looked good in something. Uh, there's no chance, incidentally, of the Spice Girls getting back together. They've decided that that was... I thought, thank goodness for that. Thank goodness for that. And Jerry Halliwell has revealed the poignant secret behind her comeback with the Spice Girls. She celebrated her 40th birthday during rehearsal for the show. She said it was particularly emotional because it was held on her late father's birthday. 
So, of course, she then gets a feature in Hello! magazine, just on the Spice Girls coming back together again. And uh, she said, he died six months before the Spice Girls when I was 21. Doing the Olympics on his birthday was poignant for me. I know. We thought it was very poignant. The miming was brilliant. Very good. She says, no matter what happened in the past, we love and accept each other. I always laugh most when I'm around them. Must be quite a dull life you're existing in at the moment, because you don't seem to spend much time with them. I mean, hardly any time with with Victoria at all, I'm afraid. But uh, she has got her eye on a new man. She's not going to tell you who it is, because it's early days yet. One can only guess at somebody who will last about five minutes. Because I think she's a bit, she's a bit high maintenance, is our Jerry, I'm afraid, who used to work on, um, on game shows. Uh, the X Factor hopeful, Jermaine Dub- Douglas. This is the one who I think is, um, he's got the most amazing voice. Luckily, because he's fairly religious, he doesn't like girls in short skirts. There was two girls outside the Ritz as we were coming through this morning, wearing those particularly high-heeled shoes, and they could not walk in them. They absolutely, it almost, it looked as if they were walking on hot coals down the pavement. It was hilarious. I felt like winding the window down and saying, why don't you just buy some sensible flats? Because you look ridiculous. I mean, apart from the fact they, they, they were two desperately unattractive people. And that's why they were all by themselves. They just couldn't actually walk. And they were, they were almost walking as if they were sort of hanging onto lampposts in between. It was hilarious. It was absolutely hilarious. To watch them. And, and you see this every day in London. People who cannot walk in their shoes. So they take them off and walk. For, and, of course, then immediately. I don't know who's... You know, eventually, in everybody's wardrobe in the country, you're going to be having shoes that nobody can walk in. At least men don't have to worry about things like this. And, and a lot of women can walk in high heels, but not in the heels that they're selling now. Because they're just ludicrous. I mean, people should take their, their, them back to the shop and get their money back. Say, I'm terribly sorry. I cannot walk in this. I cannot walk in this at all. Oh, the darkness. Apparently have rekindled their friendship. Uh, when the darkness fell apart. I don't even... I remember Justin Hawkins. I think he'd blown a lot of money on drugs. And then somebody else had isolated. I thought they were quite good, the darkness. And then they, it all sort of disappeared for them. Apparently, they're now making a comeback again. All these people get together in groups and they all have a wonderful time, make loads of money, then they all fall out and then, and then they, they try and resurrect it again. Another programme coming up again, uh, which is called Celebrity Wedi- Wedding Planner. And this is uh, pairs of flamboyant celebrities take time out from their crazy schedules to organise or ruin a couple's big day. And uh, unfortunately, one here kicking things off is Benidorm's Jake Caruso and Louis Spence. Oh, dear. Thought we'd had enough of Louis Spence on the television. Didn't realise it was still going. 84850. Steve, if you hate Towie so much, why do you watch it? Why do people keep asking me the same stupid question? Because I get paid for it. I get paid for it. And they pay me to talk about it. You know that. I get paid I get paid a million pounds a year just for talking about it. It's brilliant. Uh, Tony says, scary spice on the X Factor. Awful, awful, awful. Do you know, you're the only person who said that. Everybody else has said how brilliant she was absolutely brilliant. She knew exactly what to say. She did the right put-downs. She was being honest, which is exactly what Simon Cowell does, and then they boo him. They go, ooh, terrible, isn't it? Terrible. Boo. Boo. And I I liked it. I waved at somebody the other day in the car. Somebody waved at me as I was going off on Saturday to see the Godchildren. And for the life of me, I've got no idea who it was, but happily waved. Happily waved back, as you do. Uh, Gary is the one who's uh, seeing the four in a bed. It's the same format as Come Dine With Me. Great viewing. Oh, it was a very good Come Dine With Me the other day. But the four in a bed is, is brilliant. Because there's some really horrible bed and breakfast places out there that, that you don't want to stay in, do you? At all. 
Um, <laughs> Dan says, did I hear you, you mentioned visiting Hanwell? You must be brave. Oh, I saw... <coughs> Excuse me, I did see the most gorgeous car the other day. Absolutely most gorgeous car. I need to win the, uh, the lottery to buy it, and it's just not going to happen, I'm afraid. Uh, Billy Liar, which was... Uh, this uh, first show I saw with Michael Crawford in at Theatre Royal Drury Lane, which was the one that Daphne on on X, on the Egghead. I don't. I've never heard of that. She didn't know it. She never even heard of the of the show. It starred Jeff Rawl and uh, George A. Cooper. He lived with his mum and dad and gran. He was employed as an undertaker's assistant. Usually drifted off into daydreams. I'm surprised Daphne didn't know the answer to the question. She could have put two and two together. She even guesses the answers correct. Yes, it was. It was the fact they'd asked the about the song. Who wrote it for the musical Billy? And she didn't know anything about it, which was a shame. And Scott McKenzie, who had a big hit with San Francisco, you know, if you're going to San Francisco, has passed away at the age of 73. He was at the height of flower power. Steve Allen. There's a, a disturbing story in the papers today. It appears in the Times. And it's a story of, well, we, we've had people stealing things before, but I didn't think that grave robbing still went on. And apparently it does. Organised gangs are stripping Nazi memorabilia from the graves of soldiers who died on the Eastern Front and selling it in Britain. Armed Forces charities have expressed fury and frustration at the deplorable groups digging up the bodies of German soldiers to feed a multi-million pound international industry in Nazi relics. And it can be anything from dog tags to parts of tanks sold over the internet or through informal networks. The human remains are then buried in mass graves, scattered or sold. The Times have found hundreds of Nazi objects taken from battlefields uh, in Russia and Latvia, listed for sale on websites such as eBay. A reporter was offered the chance to buy an SS dog tag dug up from a battleground in East Germany at a military fair in Kent. Because apparently, I didn't realise, that it's illegal to sell Nazi memorabilia in France, Germany, Austria and Hungary, but not in Britain. And people are buying it. Apparently, the German War Graves Commission, which trace and reburies some 40,000 soldiers each year in Eastern Europe, said the grave robbers regularly blocked their work. Often, staff discover that graves have been looted. Worse is the lack of dog tags, without which we cannot identify the soldiers. Strange, isn't it, that people would actually want to buy stuff like this? I'm absolutely amazed, and it's people in this country... There's a, there's a woman here, Virginia, 20, spent hundreds of pounds on a Hitler youth dress dagger. She says, I was mesmerised. I would look at every little dent in the knife and with magnifying glasses to make out the maker's names. I mean, the things that people will buy nowadays, and we've heard of... And in Wales, remember last week we were reporting the fact that the police have managed to clamp down on people who um, steal the lead from church roofs and from schools. They go in there, organised gangs take this stuff and then sell it. They've already closed down two scrapyards because they're bent, as the proverbial nine-bob note, as they used to say. And uh, these people were dealing in stolen things. It was stuff that had been prized off from cemeteries. War memorial plaques were taken in and sold and people were buying them. You know, I mean, surely, I mean, anybody with, you know, half a brain would know that this stuff was stolen. And he says, Joey Essex apparently wears two watches, but cannot tell the time. Arge couldn't sing the ABC song. He didn't know, uh, what was after, what was after M-N-I-Hate-These Shoes. Right, lovely. I don't know what on earth you're talking about. I've got no idea what that bit is at all, I'm afraid, at the end there. Uh, Steve, I imagine the rest of the Spice Girls laugh the most when they're with Jerry too, but they're laughing at her rather than with her. 
Uh, Malcolm says, you're not alone with your dislike of Keith Lemon. The minute he appears on the screen, my finger hits the off button. I just think I'm a bit, I'm a bit bored with the character. It's a bit naff, I'm afraid, now. It's, it's, it's just, it's almost gone a bit too far. I mean, I, I never, to be honest with you, I, I was never a Sasha Baron Cohen fan, either. I never liked that one. I'm a bit fussy about people on television. I like them to be sort of as genuine as they, as they can be, but uh, not. Uh, 84850, Ricky wants to know, what about tattoos? People who have cut tattooed on their necks. I don't know why anybody would ever have a tattoo on their neck. I just, I don't get that one at all. I really don't get it. It just doesn't, just doesn't do it for me. I, I, I just don't understand, unless you're particularly of limited intelligence. Uh, 84850... Still awake on the boat, Steve. This is Jane. And uh, these... Uh, oh, right, this is a, a photo of the bloodhound. They're hoping to break the record and do a 1,000 miles an hour. Wow. I had 67 years and two BA captains, she says. Uh, Ex-BA pilot with 32 years' experience flew us with my husband in front too. Well, very nice. Hope you enjoyed of that. Little Julie's back with us as well this morning. Said, I don't watch The X Factor anymore. I'm looking forward to Strictly and who's going to be appearing. I've heard it could be Fern Britton, Janine from EastEnders. I've got no idea who's taking part in it. I'm, I never bother, actually. I'm really not remotely bothered about that one. It's, it's my least interesting one, I'm afraid. I'd like to find out who's actually going to go into the jungle for I'm a Celebrity Get Me Out of Here. Rumour had it that they were going to be approaching Princesses Beatrice and Eugenie to go out there. They said that would be the cure. I thought, why? They're so boring. They're so dull. They wouldn't be allowed to go at all. The royal family would say, I don't think so. We don't do stuff like that. Perhaps Julian Assange's name will pop up. Perhaps he can sort of pop out and do it. I mean, the sooner he disappears, the better. I'm, I'm so bored with opening up the papers and reading about Julian Assange. Because it's, it's just a little bit, a little bit tedious. And the, the new Miss Liverpool is uh, a girl here. And she's the new princess of Bollywood. Which is great. Mind you, there is a big story, a doubles page spread in the papers the other day, which came up, and it was about Hayley Roberts. And I had to rack my brain and think who on earth Hayley Roberts was. And then I remembered Hayley Roberts is the shop girls from the uh, shop girl from the Valleys. And she was struggling to get by in minimum wage. You know, she hadn't worked in ages. And uh, at 31, she still lived with her parents and shared a bedroom with her sister. She's so useless. And so she gets a job as a shop girl. And uh, she's been single for six years, which gives you a rough idea where we're coming from here. And uh, she'd regularly moaned to workmates that there had to be more to life, and soon there was. Because you remember, she bumped into David Hasselhoff, and he went, Oh, I fancy you. And she went, Oh, God, fantastic. And uh, so off she went with him around the world. And uh, they've been together for a year now, so they've got loads of pictures of her on holiday. And, uh, and now she's, she's sold her story. And, and to be honest with you, I mean, it's, I suppose it's a story of rags to riches, but I mean, she's, she's, uh, she's getting on a bit. I mean, at 31, at 30, she looks so similar to his first wife. She really does look very, very similar. But unfortunately, unlike the first wife, this one's got tattoos on her feet. She's got tattoos on her feet, 31. I mean, <coughs> struggling to get by on the minimum wage. I'm surprised she can afford it. Tattoos aren't cheap. Somebody told me the other day they had a tattoo done. They showed me the, the tattoo and I went, oh, right. I said, how much was that? He said, well, he said it was 80 quid, but it should have been 400. I said, what, 400 pounds? He went, yeah. I said, blimey. I didn't realize that tattoos were so expensive nowadays. He said, oh, yeah, some of the big ones can cost a, a small fortune, like an arm and a leg. Quite literally. Quite literally. Uh, caught out the vile texts that mean the cricket superstar Kevin Peterson might never play for England again. This is a story that's running in the papers as well today. He's used language, I'm afraid, which is uh, almost terribly insulting. 
he, he referred to Andrew Strauss as, I won't tell you what it is, because in, in Afrikaan, it's possibly the worst thing you could ever call anybody. So uh, poor old Kevin Peterson screwed it up big time there. Not such good news for him this morning. That makes all the, uh, the papers. And uh, what was the other thing I saved on here? Oh, yes. Oh, I was... I was <laughs> Ray Winston and Plan B have remade the Sweeney. Now, whether or not this is a joke, I don't, I don't know who Plan B is, but I'm assuming he's another one of these sort of rap artists. Uh, they're doing the, uh, the, great, the great Bake Off on the television, which has got Mel Gitroich on, the most unfunny person on the television, as far as I'm concerned. And uh, every talking about... Stranger, Ian Highland was talking about television, was talking about George Michael, and uh, saying here, an incredibly tempting offer from Gary Lineker as he kicked off the Olympic closing ceremony. If you'd like to watch without commentary, press the red button now. Here's Trevor Nelson. <laughs> That's when immediately everybody... And the most awful commentary you've ever heard, I'm afraid. But he stuck with, with it. He said, and to be fair to Trevor, says Ian Highland, he was nowhere near as irritating as he had been at the opening ceremony. In fact, he had... He was a little bit so subdued, he said, I almost suspected that Hazel Irvine had sneaked a lava lamp into the commentary box to distract him. <laughs> As for the ceremony itself, we could have probably done without quite so much of Jessie J. Can we not persuade the Rio organising committee to take her as well? And parts of it did put me in mind of Live Aid. He said, I was half expecting Bob Geldof to come out and uh, yell, give us your money now. But nobody can deny the events took a turn for the better the minute it became clear that Victoria Beckham had decided against too much singing and dancing. So, who was it I was watching the other day? I came back late at night and I turned on the telly and, uh, and I flicked onto a channel and I got Frankie Boyle. Frankie Boyle was doing his show. Well, it was the funniest thing I've ever seen on television. Absolutely. The most, I mean, he takes the mickey out of everybody. There is nobody... Who is, uh, who is free from this man's mouth. Absolutely nobody at all. He said it was very interesting watching Victoria Beckham. He said people had to keep reminding other people around her that she wasn't a javelin. <laughs> but that, that was one of his kinder things. That was one of the kinder things. He laid into everybody. He was so rude about everybody, but it was all absolutely accurate. Absolutely accurate. Everything he was saying. I know he upsets people. Apparently he's upset uh, one of the Olympic girls for sort of saying she's a bit of a hefty hideaway. And she said, don't concentrate on how I look, concentrate on my ability. Uh, but he was concentrate. He was rude to everybody. In fact, so much so that I've, I've decided it was almost like listening to this programme, but somewhat ru- ruder, about sort of about 500 times more rude. He was, he was just rude about everybody. There was nobody that he liked, but it was all done in such a way that you couldn't, you couldn't fail to be moved by him. <laughs> it was just brilliant. And I mentioned it to a friend of mine last night. I said, I've just watched this, uh, this uh, Frankie Bush. She said, oh, he's very funny. I said, I thought he was hilarious. She said, he's rude. I said, well, yeah, rude, but in a, in a funny way. I didn't think there was anything the matter with it at all. Top footballers are in the papers as well. They've seen rises... Uh, pay rises of 1,500% over the past 50 years, many times more than the 186% increase in the average UK wages. But, so, in other words, the cheapest ticket to watch Liverpool in 1989 was £4, but it's now £45. And Arsenal, from a fiver to 51 quid. I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous. The football fans, I think, are ripped off every bit of the way. Not only... With, uh, with how much money they have to pay the footballers, so you, the fans, pay for it. You have to pay for it. It, it. But it's you buying the strip as well. They like people buying the strip, and I think Man United, in their history, have actually changed strip. I think one time in the year, I think in one year, they changed it four times. And so the fans, of course, if you're a true fan, 
you will go out and buy it every single time. And that's how they can afford to pay ludicrous sums of money to footballers who, frankly, are just a waste of space. I've never seen such a bunch of girls out there kicking a ball around. Very occasionally you get somebody who's good, but they're not like athletes, are they? They've only got to kick the ball. If, if they're lucky, it goes in if there's nobody in the way. And if it doesn't, then it doesn't. And they just go on holiday. They seem to play a football game and they go on holiday. Or go and buy another car. Or go and buy some more clothes. They're all surrounded by these wags. These dreadful old bags who go out there, get their hair bleached, and then rush out and buy, uh, buy clothes in cricket and very expensive shops, which don't suit them, but nobody is ever, ever going to, uh, going to tell them. I haven't ever read, um, I haven't ever read Frankie Boyle's books. I've never read any. I didn't even know he did books. I didn't know he did books. But, uh, but definitely, definitely, I, I, I shall go and buy the, the DVD, because it was so, so good. Absolutely so good. 84850, steve at Francis said, are you sure those in the high heels uh, that couldn't walk in them were girls? I think they're cross-dressed. No, they were definitely girls. Although one of them was actually butch enough, so it could have been a bloke. Difficult to tell, isn't it? News at 6 is up next. It's LBC 97.3. Steve Allen. I was out in the sunshine, says Mark, the other day, having a coffee with a wife when a woman, late 30s, walked past, nice summer dress on, but huge tattoos all over her back, her arms, on the back of her legs and across the front of her chest. Hideous! What are they going to look like when she gets into her 60s? They're going to look the same, just faded and horrible, I suppose. I don't know why people have it done. I think it's an addiction. I've discovered that, that people love having them done. People just, because they think they look great. I think, you know, years ago, for us, it was the Bazooka Joe tattoos, or the fake ones, which you, you put on, you wet your arm, you put it on, you held it there, then you peeled it off, you went, oh, look, I've got a tattoo. Now, sadly, they've got these uh, things which cover people's entire bodies, and just look naff. They just look, they can't help it. It's an addiction, they want to have them. I think they think they just fade into the skin after a while. I think so. Uh, last week, says Mark, I saw a Michael Parkinson show from the 70s when he interviewed Frankie Howard. Pure comedy gold. The show centred on two encounters about ten years apart, but in each, Frankie was very funny. Well, I suppose he was in his day. Yes, he was. He didn't, he didn't deviate from anything. He stayed with exactly the same script that he'd used for, uh, for donkey's years and loved it. Uh, every um, saying sad that Scott McKenzie had died. Uh, one song. That was his only hit single, as far as I remember. I don't think he had any more. If you're going to San Francisco, be sure somewhere some flowers in your hair. It was all f- it was flower power, wasn't it? I do remember in those days it was flower power. And Scott McKenzie was a particularly good song. As it's like you know, hearing of the death of Davy Jones of the Monkeys and starting playing all the Monkeys songs again, little bit me, little bit you, and, and so, songs which sort of which take you back to a different time. And with Scott McKenzie, I think he came out <coughs> around about the same time as a group called the Flower Pot Men. San Francisco was the place to go to. San Francisco was the hippie hangout. I've been there, believe you me. They're welcome to it. What a dump. You go up Market Street, it's fine. It goes down. They have got a radio station called 97.3 in San Francisco, and they do have an all-year-round Christmas shop, so it's not all bad. And they've got a nice pier, and they've got, you know, they've got that, uh, that prison that's stuck out there, which nobody apparently ever escaped from, apart from one person, I believe, and they made a film about it. But then you go up Market Street, and it turns into the Castro, which is the gay end of there, and it's just all run down and faded and cheap naff hotels. But uh, we didn't do very much not shopping in San Francisco, but the Flowerpot men s- talked about San Francisco, and uh, and then Scott McKenzie, who died, sang the song about uh, San Francisco, which was a great shame. So, uh, bad news there. But he was 73, to be honest with you, I didn't even know he was still alive. I had no idea that he was still alive. 
And, uh, when, it, when he sung about... How old was he when he sung about If You're Going to San Francisco? But it was... People went around. It was peace and love. Uh, so it was, you know, the hippies are still out there somewhere. There must be still some, some old hippies, I should imagine, who remember things like that. Uh, Steve says, uh, I've noticed over the last week you're coughing a lot. <clears throat> I have been coughing a lot, actually. And, uh... He says, uh, I think it's time to, you visited the doctor. You owe it to the listeners. Well, I mean, I mean I'm, uh, to be honest with you, I felt like I was smoking about 500 fags a day over the weekend. I got to that stage, you know, where you think, I'm sure I'm smoking a lot of cigarettes, and of course I don't smoke. And I thought, had I, had I been around people who smoked? And I thought, no, nobody I know smokes anymore. They've all, they, they, they've all stopped, I'm afraid. Kurt says, I don't drink tap water as it's got added fluoride, yes, the stuff that makes toothpaste unedible and gives you a huge pain in the stomach should you make the mistake of swallowing it. Filtered tap water doesn't have any fluoride in it. Uh, well, I haven't drunk anything out of the tap for ages. I only filter it if I'm putting it in the, in the water filter. The rest, rest of the time I drink bottled water. I keep bottled water in the fridge. That seemed terribly expensive, to drink bottled water at 41 pence for two litres or whatever it happens to be. Uh, Steve McLaren, we mentioned earlier on, he's apparently... Uh, battling to save his marriage after the son caught him cheating on his missus again. I mean, surely it's their business, isn't it? Does it, does it make any difference to us? I don't think it makes any difference to us. Uh, and now, as I said at the beginning of the programme, the Kennel Club have, for some inexplicable reason, decided to enter the fray on dancing dogs. And uh, they've said, they've introduced a series of rules to restrict the movements dogs can perform in routines. I mean, I mean but what's that got to do with them? What has it got to do with them? They're a self-appointed body, aren't they? They're not a government-sponsored body. Are they? Can they actually sort of go onto a TV show and go, I'm terribly sorry, you're not allowed to do this. We are the Kennel Club. And you think, wait a minute, get your own house in order first before you start telling people what to do. I mean, this is... They've actually been given by The Sun a nonsense award. Because they're quite clearly... I mean, this has been going on for ages. It's not the first time that we've had dancing dogs on the television. They've got them in circuses. They've got them all over the place. Bridget's got some. And, and dogs do this. And now they've said that we're going to bring Ashley and Pudsey to heel by dubbing two of their most popular moves a danger. Pudsey, you remember, boogied his way to victory by strutting around on his hind legs. Doing that for more than ten seconds is now frowned upon by the Kennel Club, the UK's governing body for dogs. Well, tell them to mind their own business. Tell them to mind their own business. I mean, is it, is it like being a member of the Kennel Club, or do they have that kind of power? Of, can they approach a TV programme and say, listen, we're not having that... What's going to do with them? Got nothing at all to do with them. Viewers watched in delight as Pudsey, a border collie, Bichon Frise and Chinese Crested Cross, jumped off the judge's table and onto 17-year-old Ashley's shoulders to the Mission Impossible theme. That's now been labelled a danger because the dog may suffer a strain. Or even a sprain. So there are certain things that the dogs can and cannot do. And as for people who colour their dogs, well, I mean, that I can understand. I think people who colour their dogs or dress them up in clothing need to be taken out and hanged, as far as I'm concerned. Especially this great thing in America where they turn a dog into something else. So there's a dog that looks like a panda, or there's a dog that looks like a giraffe, or a dog that looks like a leopard, or a cat that looks like a leopard. And they spray them with these paints. Now, people like that should have the animals taken away from them, and they should be put into care. It's as simple as that. So I don't know, I don't like anybody dressing a dog up. And I know that Nathan Morley in Cyprus... He used to... He's got little Wellingtons for his dog and everything. I used to be horrified by this. Absolutely horrified. I told him I was horrified. You know, it comes as no surprise to anybody who knows me at all. That, I mean, you know, somebody who dresses dogs up, it's very funny. But, unfortunately, it's... I think it's animal cruelty. You're right about the rain. 
says Julie. We did have about ten minutes of it yesterday with a few claps of thunder. Spent the day in Richmond, had an outdoor lunch at, is it Stain's? A Bavarian restaurant, which main food was sausage. Oh, that sounds quite nice. I do like sausages, actually. I don't even know where that is. Steins or Steins? I should have to find it. It could be Steins, actually. And then uh, walked up to Richmond Park. She says, I, I, in the evening, I flicked through the channels. I caught Collie Nolan. Ah. Trying to sing, I'm in the mood for dancing, in, or- in an audition spoof for Big Brother. She says, I, I carried on flicking through the channel. <laughs> As she, do. she can't sing, can she? She cannot sing for Toffee. It's almost, almost embarrassing, I'm afraid. Oh, and the other story, which this one comes up every year, and it's coming up again. Mark Chapman, that's the man who shot John Lennon dead, is making uh, an appeal for freedom tomorrow. Now, he's done this, I think, every, every two years for, for the last goodness knows how long. Uh, John Lennon's widow, Yoko owner and son, Sean have objected to him ever being released. They say they fear for their lives if he's set free. He was jailed for 20 years. He's 57. Uh, He was jailed for 20 years to life, has had six previous parole bids turned down. The board at Wender Correctional Facility in upstate New York Express expect to reveal their decision on Friday, and I suspect they will turn him down yet again. He's, He's been doing this for a long time. He says he spent more than 30 years in prison. He should be let out. And quite rightly, Yoko Ono saying, listen, I don't think so. And, to be honest, I don't think so either. Uh, to Lisa, there's branded Lord Sugar a thing for saying she was unfit for judging the X Factor. The Apprentice star on asked on Twitter, who the hell is this Talisa bird? And says, she talks nonsense. I love Alan Sugar. He's just, he's so wonderful. She talks nonsense. Everybody on television talks nonsense. That's the funny thing. Everybody talks nonsense. It's just, it's, uh, it's, it's not ever to be taken seriously. Even people who think they're talking seriously... I'm afraid uh, aren't. Oh, and um, Queen Victoria's bloomers are going on on display again, hidden for sixty years. They're going on stay. Uh, they're going oh, sorry on show again in Tunbridge Wells in Kent. I don't know how wide her waist was, but I think they're pretty big. These bloomers. I think you could sort of you could outfit a small ship with them. LBC ninety-seven point three. Kevin the Milkman says, it wasn't me who bought all the fans in Argos. We all fight over the two we have indoors. Can't wait for this blessed heat to finish. I'm afraid you've got it again today. And uh, she, I hope little Julie is better. She burnt her hand on the iron yesterday morning. Oh, God. I can't think of anything worse. I can't think of anything worse. How awful. Um, oh, it's my tummy there, having a little, a little go by itself. I don't believe the weather forecast anymore. They were predicting thunderstorms and heavy showers every day, and uh, so far we've had nothing, says Connie. Well, today they're not, they're not predicting that. They're just saying it's going to be hot. They're going to say that it's actually going to... I mean, quite, quite nice. Quite nice, but n- not for me, I'm afraid, with a high of 25 degrees. They say that's cooler than yesterday. The only time it's ever going to be cooler than yesterday is if it comes with a breeze. If there's a breeze, I'm all right. We were, where were we the other day? Oh, we went to... Um, oh, I'll tell you what was on sale in the uh, markets. We went to the big market up in, uh, up in Essex. And, and what are they selling there? Fake headsets. Fake Dr. Dre. You know these Dr. Dre headphones, which all the kids want? Normal price, about £200. In the markets, £25. Don't touch them with a barge pole. Don't touch them with a barge pole. Apparently, you open up the headphones and they snap. So, if you're stupid enough... And they're, they're complete fakes. The box is fake, everything, but they look so good. Because I went, they're Dr... Because I recognise, luckily I'm recognising Dr Dre headphones. I said, they're Dr Dre, and somebody said, yeah, they, they, they're trying to kick people off the markets for selling fake goods. 
But they had loads of... So many stalls selling these things. So just be warned. So today, 25 degrees. The cloud will clear, so 25, you know, double it, add 30, but 80 degrees today. Unless it comes with a nice breeze, I'm going to, I'm afraid, sit in and just drench myself under the shower. And I've noticed, first thing in the morning, I'm getting really annoyed, actually. In the early hours of the morning, I think the water company turned the pressure down. So you never really get a really, really good jet wash on the shower. It's OK, but it's, it's not... not I mean, it's not like I'm standing under a drip or something like that. Tonight, dry with uh, often large amounts of cloud. Minimum 18 degrees centigrade. Tomorrow, cloudy conditions. Light rain around the high 24 degrees. Nick Ferrari and the team with you after 7 o'clock this morning. They're going to be talking, of course, about Julian Assange, a polarising figure, especially considering the sex crime allegations. I thought yesterday was a total farce. A hundred police officers and a man who steps onto a balcony. Can you hear me? As if he's some celebrity. And uh, after his speech on the balcony, <coughs> excuse me, Nick will be wanting to know, can you be a woman and still support him? Plus the latest on the Met's investigation to track down the killers of PC Keith Blakelock. At one point, they wanted to behead him his murderers, and uh, stick his head on a spike. I mean, I've, you've never seen anything like it. It's just to hear it back again. It's quite quite depressing, I'm afraid. And it's a big day for Greece. Will they default on their bailout? All of that in a full review of the papers. This morning, Melissa Kite, contributing editor at The Spectator, columnist for The Mail on Sunday and author of Real Life, One Woman's Guide to Love, Men and Other Everyday Disasters. And if she couldn't have come up with a shorter title than that, my name's not Sally. Uh, so Melissa Kite looking at the papers this morning. And uh, will there be new charges in the PC Keith Blakelock murder inquiry after 27 years? It's an interesting development. Uh, coming up as well uh, with Susan Bookbinder in the morning news in about 10 minutes' time. They're going to be talking about Assange. Also, the, uh, the dangerous dog offences coming into courts. They'll be talking to a, a district judge from the magistrate's court on that one this morning. The Princess Trust. The Princess Trust have revealed that 70% of young people in London claim that life is harder than ever for unemployed young people. The Greek debt. And uh, how much is being thrown away in landfill sites? Apparently, £650 million worth of stuff is thrown away in landfill or burnt in the UK, despite rising costs of natural resources. Not the best thing. And the heat wave. How do you cope in the heat wave? As far as I'm concerned, you, you get air conditioning. There can't be many cars on the road nowadays that don't have air conditioning. I remember years ago, we all had these sort of cars where you just, you, uh, you put it onto cold, but if the weather outside was boiling hot, it didn't make the slightest difference. You just pumped warm air into the car. So you see people sitting in these never-ending traffic jams uh, occurring on the motorways with all the windows down, thinking, oh, dear, it's way too hot. Way too hot. And, uh, and the things people are sort of, you know, wearing in cars nowadays. I mean, you do see people sitting... In, I, I was coming back down the motorway on Saturday night. And, you know, what is it about people on the motorway? They have to speed. There were cars going past me with children in. They weren't, they, they weren't necessarily boy racers. These were middle-aged people out there on the roads speeding. I mean, 90 miles an hour down the motorway. And then it turns out they're in the wrong lane. So they end up having to sort of cross lanes. And it was just, I mean, the most appalling driving. If I'd been a policeman, you could have had a field day out there. But uh, we will talk about the heat wave. And if you are setting off on a journey today, just make sure you've got enough water, just in case. I mean, there are so many accidents. I saw so many broken-down cars yesterday that uh, I began to think that uh, absolutely awful, especially people by the side of the road. And some people not bothering. If you break down by the side of a motorway, the advice is move as far away from the car as possible. Because strangely enough, as was reported in the paper last week, people drive past accidents and they, they were taking pictures 
on their mobile phones. Luckily, the, dri- the uh, drivers will be receiving summonses by the police. They managed to identify a number of these people because they've got their car numbers. Because it's so easy to get people's car numbers now. I should imagine my car, my car number's been taken on numerous occasions as I sit there and I do sometimes stare out the, uh, the window, uh, you know, a little bit vacant, and you have to sort of bring yourself back to reality. It's mainly because I'm so, so stunned by how fast some people are going. Uh, one woman here says, um, I'm, I like uh, tattoos. Why should anybody care about them? Well, that's great, but just cover them up. It just looks cheap and, cheap and chavvy, I'm afraid. And they're very naff. They're very, very naff. You're never going to, never going to change my mind. I'm afraid on, uh, on, um, on Tasmas. I'm having a field day this morning, honestly. Probably because I haven't had a bacon roll for seems like a week. But it's only about three days. Uh, there's an accident in the Rotherhithe Tunnel, says Mark the Bailiff. We'll check that out. Thank you very much indeed. I'm sure that they're listening in our travel department upstairs. And um, another one here. And this is. This is for, uh, this is about Scott McKenzie, actually. It was a number one hit. He would have been 28 when he had that number. That was quite late, wasn't it, really, in the pop music world? This is Scott McKenzie, who had the hit single, San Francisco. If you're going to San Francisco, be sure to wear some flowers on your hair. I think I did, actually, at one point. I think I was so caught up in the, in the flower power movement, but I just had a bicycle, so I wasn't quite old enough, and we just used to put flowers on our handlebars. <laughs> Seems a bit sad, doesn't it, really, I'm afraid? Uh, the Kennel Club are the ruling body for dog sports. When you do doggy dancing in a competition, your dog needs to be registered with the Kennel Club, and the competition is under their rules. I think it's a good thing for certain moves to be banned. Pudsey is an exceptional dog, but the average dog doing freestyle doggy dancing may be injured trying to emulate him. It wouldn't apply in a talent show. The Kennel Club have no jurisdiction over that, but to be good enough to win, like Ashley, somebody would have to have competed in a freestyle first. Yes, I didn't think they had any... Uh, any jurisdiction over television programmes at all. Otherwise, it would be dreadful, wouldn't it, if they had jurisdiction. Uh, 84850 uk. Uh, hand OK, says Kevin, uh, so says uh, little Julie, Kevin the Millman. I just have a V-shaped blister. Dear, honestly. Fancy, fancy sort of touching yourself with a hot iron. I've done it before. We've all done it. All done it, I'm afraid. Uh, I was out once, says Julie, with my yellow Labrador and was wearing her harness, of course, when an idiot who was giving her brains a rest, walking instead of sitting, suggests I was cruel by not putting a coat on the dog. My reply was, can you not see all that hair underneath her harness? She's a Labrador. Labradors are named after the place in Canada, which is very, very cold. I don't know, people are so funny. See, I, I don't like people dressing dogs up. I don't think, you know, I know people laugh at them, but I, I just don't think it's right. And there's another f- piece in the paper today. This is the anniversary of the murder that shocked Britain. This is the, uh, the little schoolboy. Reese Jones, who was shot dead five years ago um, in, a, in a row between two rival gangs. He was caught up in the middle. And it was just after that that I remember people saying, we will clear the streets of gangs, it will become better, it, it will be fine. Well, five years on, nothing. Still exactly the same. 32 people killed in the UK shooting so far this year. Amount of firearms seized by the Met in 2012, a thousand, a thousand already. 61 shootings in Liverpool alone. And the percentage of shootings in London carried out by gangs, 50. So nothing has changed whatsoever, absolutely nothing at all. And his little football shirt is still hanging on a tree. It's now covered in mould and still... You know, people are saying, oh, we've, we've got to get rid of gangs, but so far they've done absolutely nothing about it. Let's quickly have a look at the front pages of the papers for this morning, so you know what you're waking up to. Uh, it's uh, the Kennel Club Killjoys on the front of the sun. The governing body for mutts as outlawed moves, it says, are extreme or unnatural. Uh, Harry has a ball. 
uh, Prince Harry back on the lash again by the look of it in Las Vegas, having one of those whoopie-doo parties, which we're also famous for. The Times on the front page, Julian Assange making a statement from the balcony at the Ecuadorian embassy in London. Uh, the Metro this morning, uh, Julian Assange demanding uh, to America, he says, end the witch hunt as he breaks his silence. And uh, Chalisa's feud with Lord Sugar. Do you know, honestly, her agent, Jonathan... Young Shallot must be doing very well. There is barely a day goes by where he doesn't get a story about Talisa into the papers. Definitely get to change the hair colour back, though, Jonathan. Definitely. Daily Express this morning. Very excited. You can win a handcrafted motorhome. Kind of thing you really want, isn't it, when you think about chavs. You think, I must get a motorhome. It's worth £24,000, at least. Uh, and the bank holiday set to be a total washout because we've got a bank holiday coming up. I think it's next week. I think it's next week, something like that. So uh, we will be here, of course, over the bank holiday. No rest for the wicked, as they say. But uh, the uh, the hot weather will fizzle out over this. Thank goodness for that. It's all these people going around these cut-off shorts and people walking around their shirts off. I've never walked around with my shirt off. Even at home. It's not an attractive look anyway. I have baths fully clothed. I'm not stupid. I've seen what I look like. Anyway, just about it for this morning. It's Monday, start of the week. Start of another day of uh, we're going to get very hot and sweaty later on. So have a, have a great week, Nick and the team, with you. Afternoon's at 7 o'clock this morning, coming up very shortly. Susan Bookbinder will be here with the morning news on LBC 97.3. Have a great day. LBC 97.3.